0: Hi there. We're listening to Stephen Greer on the Sean Ryan Show, episode 65.
1: 30 bomb over downtown D.C. So
0: we're pull up. we're yeah, about well, halfway through.
1: wasn't declassified, but it was provided to me by a source 19. from uh, Area 51, Nellis. And it's, uh, it lists as of the early 90s. Uh, I got it in the 90s, uh, all the code numbers and code names that were on a security alert because there were a group of civilians who were trying to spy on the range, where they had to shut everything down because there was a large group, um, and it was a security alert, but it was an NRO document, National Reconnaissance Office document. And it had key names on it. It had the Magi on it, the Majority Joint Intelligence Committee, or MAGIC. It had Cosmic Ops on it, Royal Ops. Magi, they call Black themselves Jack the
0: Magi, the wise
1: men. It. it had key actionable intelligence, and that's one of the documents I gave to some of the folks in the White House over the years, or Pentagon, because it's it's a legitimate document that actually gives specific code, word, and numbers uh that were out in that particular area and it's still there i mean it's not like you pick up an asset like that and move it to where um so we know where they are and that's why our 145 facilities uh i've just learned of a new one that we'll be putting on that map soon Um supposed to be taken there where's this i can't say where but the, can, we, right now. can we put the map up? Yes, and you put the map up, you'll see. Many of them are places people know. They know Edwards Air Force Base, but where? Um, where do you go to uh, at the Nellis Range? It's a huge range, uh, Air Force Base. Uh, and then the Nevada Test Site, which is the where we tested uh, nuclear weapons, going north. But out there, there's some very key assets. And there's a Delta Force Hilo Base out there that's used for retrieving extraterrestrial vehicles, and retrieving downed, uh, accidentally crashed uh, man-made ones that malfunction. So we have a man on our team who was on a retrieval operation, initially for conventional aircraft, jets, for their classified components, and then he got read into uh, an operation retrieving the man-made ones, which blew his mind, the Raytheon and Northrop ones. Then he got read into the ones that are... uh, you know, he was on one operation where we stunned one of these extraterrestrial vehicles. It's one I showed at the event. Uh, and it didn't crash. It got stunned and landed out there on the range, the Nevada test range. And they were moved in in helos to uh, retrieve it. And uh, that interesting account of that, uh, it began to come back to life. And uh, an opening came out of it, and it looked like a fruit roll up came down. And a couple of extraterrestrials emerged that he had, he literally was in three or four feet of them. We have the drawing of them, of what they look like. But what happened is that at that point, that craft was being checked by uh, helicopters in the air as well as one of these ARVs, uh, man made ones, the triangular. When they, it, this thing began to sort of glow, reddish, and come to life, boom. Our aircraft took off. Now, the boots on the ground there and the choppers on the ground, after a few minutes, they were all, I know this sounds like Star Trek, they were all teleported back to the Hilo base instantly. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they weren't harmed. None of them were harmed. But apparently this whole event convinced this particular operator to get out of that system because he knew what what he sensed from these ETs was that they were completely benign very much here to help us and we were doing horrible things to them and they also said we know what you're doing we're not going to allow you to do this much longer it was sort of a warning that happened in 2000 and uh, I think that was 2010-11 time period so what's your goal with the Disclosure Project? Well, our goal, is, we're going
0: to pull up the and we're they were this moved
1: in in helos to uh, retrieve it. And um, the where we tested uh, nuclear weapons going north. But out there, there's some very key assets. And there's a Delta Force helo base out there that's used for retrieving extraterrestrial vehicles and retrieving downed. Uh, accidentally crashed uh, man-made ones that malfunction. So we have a man on our team who was on a retrieval operation initially for conventional aircraft, jets, for their classified components, and then he got read into uh, an operation retrieving the man-made ones, which blew his mind, the Raytheon and Northrop ones. Then he got read into the ones that are, uh, you know, he was on one operation where we stunned one of these extraterrestrial vehicles. It's one I showed at the event, Uh, and it didn't crash. It got stunned and landed out there on the range, the Nevada Test Range, and they were moved in and helos to uh, retrieve it. And uh, that interesting account of that, uh, it began to come back to life, and uh, an opening came out of it, and it looked like a fruit roll-up came down, and a couple of extraterrestrials emerged that he had, he literally was in three or four feet of them. We have the drawing of them, of what they look like. But what happened is that at that point, that craft was being checked by uh, helicopters in the air as well as one of these ARVs, uh, man-made ones, a triangular. When this thing began to sort of glow reddish and come to life, boom, Our aircraft took off. Now, the boots on the ground there and the choppers on the ground, after a few minutes, they were all, I know this sounds like Star Trek, they were all teleported back to the Hilo base instantly. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They weren't harmed. None of them were harmed. But apparently this whole event convinced this particular operator to get out of that system because he knew what what he sensed from these ETs was that they were completely benign very much here to help us and we were doing horrible things to them and they also said we know what you're doing we're not going to allow you to do this much longer it was sort of a warning and that happened in 2000 and uh, I think that was 2010-11 time period What's your goal with the Disclosure Project? Well, our goal is, first of all, to get this information to the key policymakers and uh, people in the government who have responsibility for our national security, but also in other countries as well, and to the public so that they understand the difference, in my opinion, between the false information being purveyed, which is the dominant information that's out on the Internet and Hollywood and shows, and the real information that needs to be understood by the public so that the public isn't deceived. So we have both an internal governmental uh, objective to guide the government in understanding this and getting them as much detailed, actionable intelligence as possible. Like, the details, and this is how they've gotten this far. The reason the bill that was just came out of committee and the Intelligence Committee is because they now understand if you read that bill... It, seven it
0: months ago. Of a oh, shit. This is posted seven months ago.
1: Safe harbor six months, amnesty period, for these corporations and people to come forward or they'll be prosecuted. That is in the bill that left committee. And I've been pushing for this for a long time. The first time I recommended it was in 1993 to Bill Clinton, <laughs> and wow. nobody wanted to do it. Now it's going to happen, but that sets a clock. And so the Disclosure Project's objective is to give the legal government of the United States that we have allegiance to and that we, the people, the public, the information, so that these rogue and very criminal activities can be brought under proper supervision and control, access control. And that's not the case right now. And it's dangerous that it isn't. So it's a very big step that first in December, they signed this law allowing uh, whistleblowers to come forward through the Pentagon process, which, which is a top secret skiff situation. But now this bill is going to explicitly state that these corporations, anybody having exotic materials clearly referring to extraterrestrial-type materials, technologies, bodies. Those have to be disclosed and turned over to the legal U.S. government or they will then be subject to prosecution criminally. Um, So that's a a six-month window now. So that clock has started. That's a six-month window.
2: And you're also going to make all
1: of this, which a lot of it already is, open-source information. Yes, if we could get some... (laughs) You have to imagine myself and my wife and a few volunteers trying to scan, organize 8, 10 terabytes of data and then create a database system that's searchable and then eventually get it on the Internet. Now, what we do have to redact, the unredacted archive I'm giving to the top investigators in the Congress and the Pentagon group, Uh, the White House got a redacted version. Uh, because they're not really leaning into this much yet, um, the, the, which they should be. Mm-hmm. But I have someone in the White House military office that, that we're providing information to. But um, those, the, the, the redacted one, it. just to be clear, the only thing we're holding back are the personal names of these you know, hundreds of whistleblowers who don't want their names known. hmm um, except when there's certain conditions, and also they're, you know, like they're, if they have a DD 214, I'm not going to release in a, 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 a non-secure manner. So the, the folks who have the unredacted, those go into a skiff, they go into a vault, they have it. Now, I will say on the record, anyone who says the U.S. government is not in possession of all the facts and the actual intelligence to get to the bottom of this is a liar or ignorant. They're either a liar or they're ignorant, because that was handed off three weeks ago, all of it. So there's actually no excuse now. The only excuse they'd have now is that they're part of a cover-up, in which case they should be prosecuted. And I'm saying even the people in the Arrow office in the Pentagon, they either move on this and do it with integrity, or they should be prosecuted. Yeah. Let's move into your new documentary, The Lost Century. Sure.
3: It's all about advanced technology, how it's been been around for over 100 years but kept secret. Zero-point energy, a lot of people call free energy, is also Mm -hmm. called the quantum vacuum. This would basically eliminate the need for fossil fuels, utilities...
1: Wind, Everything. solar,
3: yeah. yeah. Winds, every, every means to power that we have now would make it completely obsolete. It would be unlimited, clean, and right. free energy. And we've had it for 100 years. How do we. So let's get into this.
1: How, how did you discover this stuff? Well, it was an outgrowth of me looking into the, the UFO UAP issue. Because once you realize these objects are real, three-dimensional, the very first question, actually, when I was when I go up uh, to Capitol Hill or someplace, I'll put up the footage. The footage that the Pentagon said this is a real three D object. Infrared sensors, no heat, no jets, no rockets, and certainly no nuclear power plant on it. Because I mean, those things are hot, right? Mm-hmm. There are have been nuclear-powered aircraft and satellites, but I said, how is that moving? at those speeds, and then straight up against gravity. This is the alternative energy and propulsion systems. So I always tell people, forget all the mythology and everything. It's an alternative energy system. Now, it's a very advanced one because it also flies. Now, to be, to be really clear, I am not advocating, not, the release of the things that fly yet. Why? It's a missile delivery system. So you don't really want to open source an electrogravitic anti-gravity system that allows terrorists in Mogadishu to get a dirty bomb over downtown D.C. in two or three seconds, mm-hmm. right? No. Now, but the things that would sit at your house, like your heat pump, all right, or in the hood of your car, that would run your car or your factory or your business or your home, those devices that are not things that fly. Those are just pulling energy from the fabric of space-time around it. And physicists have estimated that the volume of space in a coffee mug has enough potential energy to boil off all the oceans of the world. It's that much latent energy. So tapping into it to run the entire United States, the whole world, be like taking a thimble of water out of the Great Lakes. So it is what, you know, Tesla called it, the infinite energy field. And it began to be discovered, if you look at it all the way back, but it as soon as you step into the reality, the three-dimensional reality of these uh, UAPs and UFOs, you immediately begin talking to people, and this is what happened to me in the early 90s, to people who know the physics of the energy systems, because these things are not using oil, gas, coal, nuclear what have you so it's a it's a natural extension of the problem and I point out to people one of the central reasons for the secrecy that got out of control under Eisenhower's late last four years as president was because once they realized how this works they realized the big industrialist and financial and global money to people banking this would be the end of that entire sector of the macroeconomic system. Well, that would have been great if it had been transitioned before I was born in 1955, because look at the world we have now. But it really could have started coming out in the early teens and 20s. If you look at the documentary, The Lost Century, the, the subcaption is, and how to reclaim it. We talk about how we need to come together as a people and develop these energy generation systems and open source them. Meaning that it's no patent, no intellectual property held back at the first level of this. Because the patent office will seize it. We proved that in the documentary. We have a national security order on a patent that a scientist I know submitted. We took his name off of it. So the question is, are there some people who can financially uh, put up the funds? And it needs to be a substantial amount, you know. 50 to 100 million to start, to create a high-energy physics lab that develops this and gets it out to the public, no intellectual property holdback. Or, if there was that much funds we avail, we could go to some of these scientists who probably have these and say, look, we want to just acquire this. You'll be, here's $10 million, now go and relax. Let us move this out to the public. You can't do it. Most of these engineers and scientists and inventors think they're going to do it the way they do a new software program. And they're going to try to monetize it through uh, intellectual property protections and patent. You cannot do that with this because the system is so completely weaponized and corrupt. And I'm talking from the patent office on uh, that the only way to do it is to do an open source release of it massively through the Internet blockchain. So that's what we're doing. But the technology... If you, go, if you look at this documentary, you'll see this trajectory. There's a, a great photograph with Nikola Tesla with this engineer farmer, self-taught guy. I believe it was 1908 or 1902, the caption. And this guy had like an earth battery. He had some uh, metallic stakes and wires in the ground. And he was pulling resonant energy. It was running his farm. Wow. Ninete- I mean, my, even my father, you know, I wasn't alive. He was born in 1916. This was before my dad, who was hand-to-hand combat in World War II with the Japanese amphibious landing unit. Uh, But, you know, I'm going, what the heck? You know, we have our planet. Half the planet's population doesn't have indoor plumbing. Three billion people have no way to cook their food. They're cutting down the rainforest. Three billion. The biosphere, even if you don't think climate change is real, five million people die from breathing particulate matter, soot, all over the world from this noxious stuff we keep burning. So we need to take care of our creation, the earth, and our future. And it isn't going to happen with a windmill and a solar panel. Believe me, no way you're going to run 8 billion people off of those technologies. We're going to have to have innovative, high-tech solutions to the energy and environmental and poverty problems. I mean, look, you know, I just want to backtrack on that real quick when you're talking
3: about people dying from from inhaling these particles and these oh, chemicals no. and shit i mean you know this is this unfortunately is a touchy subject you know the the, the pollution and in climate change and all this shit but what i can attest to that is a hundred percent fact is what you just said because i've been to these parts of the world yeah i've spent over a decade in these parts of the world and you see one you see All these veterans coming home, dying of weird cancers from shit that they breathed in overseas.
1: Over a decade, burning. So we need to take care of our creation, the Earth, and our future. And it isn't going to happen with a windmill and a solar panel. Believe me. No way you're going to run 8 billion people off of those technologies. We're going to have to have innovative, high-tech solutions to the energy and environment.
4: And poverty when problems. I mean, look, you know, I just want to backtrack on that real quick. When you're talking about people dying from from inhaling these particles and these oh, chemicals
3: yeah. and shit, I mean, you know, this is this unfortunately is a touchy subject. You know, the the, the pollution and I read then overseas. Yep. And And I can tell you, in the winter time, the winter winter time in Afghanistan, the soot is so thick in the air Mm -hmm. that if you go outside for, I mean, we're talking just five minutes, and you go back inside and spit in, Mm -hmm. spit in the sink, or spit in whatever, blow your nose.
1: You're, 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 you're going to spit gray. Right. And, But those fine particles get into your lungs and then your circulatory and heart and cause a huge number of problems. Not just cancers, but I'm talking heart, lung disease. So why are we doing that when these technologies have existed? Now, this same corrupt organization, because it doesn't just deal with one issue, have been responsible for basically hoovering up, vacuuming up all these technologies for a 100 years. Uh, I know people personally, personally, who have been murdered because they had one. And it's because they very, against my advice, AMA, against medical advice, against their own security interest. they wanted to keep it secret. And they thought they were going to be so clever, and they were going to outfox this big super state of, thugs. I'm going, yeah. dude, you have no idea what you're up against here. And then they think they're going to do encryption and keep it secret. I'm going, mm-hmm. oh my god. You okay. think this group needs to worry about an electromagnetic encryption when they can target a volume of space anywhere and extract anything being said? I mean, I, can- I mean it's you know and, and it's I understand it because if you're in the normal engineering world, you're it's not going to know believe it. It's hard to believe it, but I said, you know, if you don't believe it, just wait you're going to be dead or it'll be confiscated. And I you know you're only you're lucky if all they do is come in and kick your door in hit you with a national security order and drag it off. You know that's your best outcome. That's your best case scenario. If you do it the conventional way. So I go look, you know, it's like well, what is that saying attributed to Einstein the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result. The reason I can prove that the strategy most people use doesn't work is that we can prove these technologies have been around for over a hundred years, and you and I are still tied into a coal-fired or gas-fired power grid, right? So if these strategies if the, if the conventional business and technology strategies were going to work, they would have worked before you know, you and I were born. So we need to think, we need to have different thinking about this strategically. So what we're saying is all of these technologies, if they're used for peaceful purposes, would really give us a whole new civilization. Beautiful. Uh, now, the downside is, given what humans are, we like to take any new technological breakthrough and weaponize it. But the truth is, they've already done that. We've already weaponized these things.
3: How do you think that these the anti gravity technology that's using gravity as a power source how is that happening can do you have a brief explanation on
1: i I really think it's gravity control and gravity wave control uh as for a power source, I think the power source is better described as this quantum vacuum energy or zero point energy but if you so there's it's like two separate things, but are related. So you can have a zero-point energy system or a free energy system. It doesn't move, and it's not affecting gravity. But at a certain resonant frequency and power, and it has to do with uh, vortices, toroidal energy patterns, you can then cause what's what I call mass cancellation, where an object literally takes on weightlessness, now, if you go back in the documentary, we touch on this, all the way back to B, the T. Townsend Brown and what was later called the B. Phil Brown effect. In the late 1920s, he took a very high voltage system at a very certain uh, with wires around a crystalline material and it levitated, just floated. Now, that was almost 100 years ago, late 20s. Uh, that was then the Kowski Frost experiment in Germany around the same time, confirmed it. Later, the whole b filled brown effect, studying very high-voltage VHV systems, began to be increasingly studied and classified in the 30s and 40s. By the time World War II ended, Adolf Hitler had a disc-shaped electrogravitic, but it wasn't stable, which is why he could never use it in the war. But it was brought back to America by Paul Mellon and... uh, Patton, General Patton, and uh, Alan Dulles. Uh, So that device actually became a very important object to study at the end of World War II, and of course it also, that technology got advanced greatly by studying the extraterrestrial materials that we uh, also were beginning to acquire by using electromagnetic uh, weapons to down the ET craft. So you had two rivers of technology being developed from the 20s, 30s, 40s that intersected with the extraterrestrial technologies and they hybridized them. Shit. So that's what happened between 1945 and 55, that decade.
3: How, how many different ways do you think, is, is, how many different ways are there to harness this kind of
1: energy? Oh, I think there are dozens. How did, how did Tesla do it? Tesla, I think, was actually capturing resonant magnetic field energy of the Earth That's almost boundless. So there are a lot of, quote, free energy approaches. I think the ones that use these very high voltage systems that create a sort of a vector, a tap, as it were, into this uh, quantum vacuum energy and zero point energy field. Uh, those began to be stumbled across but sort of episodically as a phenomenon back in the late 1800s because that was the heyday when they were first discovering electromagnetism. And I think Maxwell and Ferret, some of these guys stumbled across this. Dozens they didn't know of what it was. of you energy, more energy that we could be harnessing. So I think Maxwell and... energy. Oh, I think there are dozens. How did How did Tesla do
3: it? Tesla, I think... Ways are there to harness this kind of energy? Oh, I think. Th- how many different ways are there to harness this kind of energy?
1: Oh, I think they're solid-state devices. How many different ways are there to harness this kind of energy? Oh, I think there are dozens. How did How did Tesla do it? Tesla, dozens I think, was too. actually capturing isn't it magnetic field energy of the Earth. That's almost boundless. So there are a lot of, quote, free energy approaches. I think the ones that use these very high voltage systems that create a sort of a vector, a tap, as it were, into this uh, quantum vacuum energy and zero-point energy field, uh, those began to be stumbled across but sort of
4: episodically. a phenomenon back in the late
1: 1800s, because that was the heyday when they were first discovering electromagnetism. So I think you can have a rotational coil-based device, Uh, Floyd Sweet, who we feature in, in the movie.
4: into these justed for press
0: Steven Greer. I wonder if Steven Greer is on Twitter. Um, transition into these free. Okay.
1: And have Let's a rotational coil.
0: Okay, hi there. Shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Edwards, Donor.
1: Coil based device. Uh, Floyd Sweet, who we feature in, in the movie, had a solid state device that was about this big that could run a 300 horsepower electric engine for your car. No other batteries. The little teeny. Uh, yeah, that was. You had video of that. And- yeah, yeah, we have video of it. It was tested by a lieutenant colonel. Uh, Tom Bearden, who's a very dear friend of mine, adventures. just passed away. Um, he handed off all of what he knew about this to us. We have a... Um, th-
4: Elon Musk, where's my fucking seed money?
1: that was a, a CIA operative named Sajeki that I knew, but he had a, a guy I know named uh, John Badini who um, was allowed to copy a bunch of confiscated patents uh, mm-hmm. and we have that disk. Mm-hmm. So we need to send up a, a well, research cool. lab to do this and get to the bottom of it, I million. think, Sean, very quickly, because we need to do it, look, If this technology came out in the next year or two by a group that could just put it out, open source it, thousands of companies would then adopt it and we'd be able to really transform the trajectory of of, of the planet. Now, there are gonna be certain losers in that process. Like any new technology, oil, gas, coal, centralized public utilities, they'll all have to be retired. But keep in mind, it's gonna take 15 years to do this. You know, your car and my car, Running, if, if you have a, a conventional vehicle, 100 million vehicles are made a year. There are one and a half billion motor vehicles on the road na- worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's 15 years if you waved a magic wand and converted every manufacturing entity to a zero-point electric system. That's not going to happen. So, you know, it's going to take a couple of decades to make this transition anyway. It should have happened 100 years ago. Why do you think so many UFOs spottings are are happening around these nuclear sites? Well, we know the answer to that. And, of course, he didn't get to go into it. But Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, who was the uh, U-2 pilot who was there, um, he dealt specifically with this information dealing with the the, uh, extraterrestrial concern over nuclear facilities. And it's multiple reasons. One, they're very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life
0: of biological
1: life on Earth. Obviously, mutual assured destruction would do that. Uh, And believe it or not, these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future. But they're also secondarily, maybe equally, concerned about containing the warlike nature of humans from being exported out into space. Now, the nuclear issue, when you detonate a nuclear device or there's an accident, everyone knows what an EMP is. We've talked about electromagnetic pulse. There's also a type of scalar pulse that goes out that literally rips through space-time that disrupts interstellar communication and travel. This is why, you know, I was talking to Gordon Crichton, who is a MI6 guy and a military intelligence guy in the United Kingdom who's passed away, but he's one of our witnesses. He used to publish Flying Salsa Review that uh, uh, Prince Charles and Prince Philip subscribed to. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But he, what he said was basically when we did that, at the first atomic bomb explosion, it actually was like kicking a hornet's nest because now Teller, Edward Teller and Oppenheimer, they didn't know that when one of those things would go off, that it would create this kind of pulse, not electromagnetic pulse, but this other wave that actually goes through the entangled cosmos in a way that is highly disruptive to uh, other civilizations, communications, and travel. So this began to be a huge red flag went up over the Earth, warning. This is a group of you know, primitive emerging civilization that is a, th- a threat to themselves and a threat to others out there, they don't even know how threat. What a big threat this is! So the whole nuclear issue uh, is what caused the modern era of uh, UFO, ET-related events to take place. Because I think they've obviously been watching the Earth and, and been involved in, in seeing its development for millennia. Okay. Sure. For millennia. There's good evidence for that. I mean, there are, cave, there are cave drawings from 5,000 years ago that have been carbon dated to that age that show a classic disc and with look like E.T. beans outside of it from France and India and all over. So I don't think... It's, it's not as if they didn't know we were here. It's that when we hit that point, and what they really were trying to get Truman and Eisenhower to do, the E.T.s, were to wind that down... And go on a different trajectory, which is what we're recommending now, 60 years later. And that is to pivot to getting rid of this conflict-oriented endless war scenario with these kind of weapons and move towards a peaceful solution to our conflicts, but then begin to adopt these technologies so that human civilization can advance without cannibalizing the earth and killing off the oceans. So I think this is something that we took a pass on. It was a, a tragic error. The big error happened on here. i am just be honest with you. Pretty much the year I was born, ironically, 1955 to 57, this whole enterprise went sideways. And when Eisenhower subsequently lost control over these deep black operations, that's when he gave up. Beware the military-industrial complex. I mean, he was very pro-military. He was a general, World War Two. And and then, of course, that's why also the first director, one of the early directors of CIA, uh, 1947, when the CIA was founded, uh, Admiral Roscoe Hillingkeeter, stated in a letter to the New York Times after Eisenhower gave that speech, and he said, the secrecy around UFOs is a threat to the national security. He didn't say the UFOs were. He said the secrecy around it is a threat to the national security. So when people ask me, Are the UFOs a threat to the national security? I said the man-made ones absolutely are. The extraterrestrial ones aren't. But the secrecy around it in its aggregate is a dire threat to world and national security. No question.
2: In the documentary, you talk about some
1: of the uh, UFO technology. The metal is so pure it cannot be replicated. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so we think you know, if you're driving a car, or flying on a Boeing 737 or whatever, we dig that s- stuff up, you know, aluminum and metal. We smelt it, refine it, roll it, put it together, rivets, welding, etc. An extraterrestrial vehicle and all its components are not made that way. They are made by p- creating a sort of an ultrasonic, very high-tech w- wave that pulls, let's call it the substrate, the elementals that are subatomic, together on, if you can visualize this, like almost like a blueprint in energy. And it materializes it. So it's seamless. Even the, the parts that are in it, anything that's energy or electronic related, is on a nanomolecular level entwined in it. This is why it's very hard to study this stuff. I mean, it's not like taking apart a Soviet MIG or something. I I know the men who worked on these projects. And, I mean, you're dealing with really extraordinary, elegant, beautiful uh, material sciences and matter. And that's why the materials are so pure, because they're not dug up and refined. They're actually assembled from this baseline uh, energy-matter interface in in space-time and the, give it make it real for you there was a captain on a navy contract vessel back in 62 or 3 and before he died he contacted me great guy um and he had been you know, they were testing the atlas uh, rockets that were intercontinental ballistic but these didn't have nukes on them they were testing the the rocket and guidance systems back way back and they had had a lot of uh, UFO sightings so the ETs were watching how we were developing and kind of this breakout speed with thermonuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic cold war. And one night they had an object on radar. It was triangulated. They had it on ship radar. So was, the captain has this guy say, hey, look, well, we have this and boogie. And then it got confirmed from their, the command center uh, and they said, "Oh, when they because they were able to do that. Unfortunately, they triangulated it, and it was hit with some kind of weapon. This was '63, and it dropped, boom, like a rock right into the South Atlantic Ocean. So he was vectored over to the estimated point of impact, and was there to retrieve it. And I have his whole story. And he never wanted to come forward because even when he had to have surgery once." They had an intelligence guy in there when he was under anesthesia. Be sure he didn't talk about this. But I have his whole information. So what happened is that when he got to the site, there was about a six-by-six six pod, and they pulled it up on the ship. Uh, and it wasn't the whole craft. The whole craft had gone down, but apparently there was some sort of one-moted thing, and there were four... Uh, I'm going to use his language, little men that look like the color of a Sicilian, kind of brown, but 39 inches tall, uh, no hair, and also no external ears, no, no penna flaps, very fine-featured. The reason he contacted me, and this is why this is so funny, I, I've debriefed a thousand, over a thousand men like this. He said, I can't figure out how they got in and out of their uniforms. So they had a one piece uniform now no zipper and no buttons, and no visible way they could get them out of this thing <laughs> He says, "How do they put them on i said well they don't it, they don't need a zipper or a button because they are kind of materialized around them and then dematerialized off using this technology, this very advanced trans-dimensional physics and he went, "Oh my God, I would have never it. i said no i mean it 's how they're doing it." So, this is why people who encounter an actual e t craft or the e t the ebens extraterrestrial biological entities and they see even their clothing <laughs> none of it tracks because it's so far advanced well, you know the, there was another um maybe i can't
3: remember if it was one or two of the whistleblowers that spoke about this. They spoke about or maybe it was you talking about it but um when they got into the craft. The inside of the craft seemed
1: almost infinite. Yep, yep. That was that was one of I was representing a whistleblower who is not ready to be unmasked yet. He still doesn't want to be known publicly. But yes, I, because you have a dimensional space shift as well. So an object that looks thirty feet across, you go in, and it was so big you could if you'd thrown a football, you couldn't hit the other side of it. Uh, so. You know, again, all of this gets into an understanding of physics uh, that, unfortunately, you know, we're not teaching our kids the real physics, Mm -hmm. the science of anything. I mean, we're all locked 100 years. This is the other part of the lost century I talk about, is that it has to do with medical technologies. I mean, as a doctor, I've seen some things that, my God, if we had that, the lives that could be saved, spinal cord regeneration, regeneration of lost limbs. Um, You've seen that stuff, yeah. At an underground lab on the Mexican-Texas border.
0: Don't say yeah.
1: Sad, yeah. How were you getting access to this? The people who like what I'm trying to do that are in the system take me. And <laughs> I went to one place. It's a very funny story. And they, you know, they had the Marines there. You know, there was all these checkpoints, and and the guy said. Finally, we got to the last one, and this was a facility. I won't say where it was, but I mean, basically, World War III for all submarines to be run out of there. And my my escort, my military advisor, finally, we got to this last point where you go into the inner. You know, it's this huge place, deep. And the guy goes, "And and what is Doctor Greer uh, here for?" And he says, "You don't have a need to know." So he played this the same need-to-know thing who mm-hmm. went in. So, beyond full disclosure, I've never worked for the government or a contractor. I have no clearances. I don't want a clearance. Uh, but there are people who know that what we're doing, we're fighting the good fight, and the people in the system, a lot of them are very good people. This is what a lot of people need to understand, they got trapped in a system where you get read into more and more of these compartments, next thing you know, you're in something and the guys, one th- as I say this, I want to make a call for more whistleblowers watching to come out. There are guys out there watching your show, Delta Force, Navy SEAL, uh, people in the aerospace industry, various military commands that have dealt with or seen this and they need to come forward because now there's a safe pathway for them to do it and if you're corporate now there's a 6 month clock on you and we we let me be very clear we know who you are and where your assets are and after those 6 months you're subject to criminal prosecution and you'll be lucky if that's all you're subject to so this is something this is getting very serious right now that's why I'm on your show there's a there's a 6 month window yep when does that expire from the date this bill is finally signed, I mean, it's out of committee, it's going to be voted, and then it'll be, it's an amendment to the intelligence bill. Okay, so it's not actually, we're not no, wrapped up with that. No, yet. it's it is it's done. It's pretty much, it's, it's done. But it's not in effect yet? Uh, I'll, have to it, ask, I'll have to ask my guy who's shepherding it through. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it is, actually. Let's talk about the secret air show in 1988. <laughs> Norton, yeah, Air Force Base. It's a decommissioned Air Force Base, California, um, where there was uh, the original uh, ARV that we learned about. Uh, Apparently it had mercury component parts from 1959-60 time period. And it was sort of a circular object, came up to it like a cupola. You see the drawings we have. And we have a man who was at that air show who described it in full. It had scorch marks and other things on it, and they had been told at this secret air show that it, in fact, had been uh, out in the solar system, out in the space and back. This is late 1950s, early 1960s. Now, ironically, my uncle, who worked on the lunar module, put the first man on the moon. That was 1969. So they're working one track at Grumman, which became north of Grumman, but then in these deep black projects, they have these things that are zipping out there and that's 100 percent true uh, my understanding it did not have interstellar capability it did not have teleportation capability it didn't have any of that really exotic but it was a, a energy free free energy combined with anti-gravity where if they could get that up there and go out into space and other places so uh, that air show um was basically showing some old antique ones, right this is 1988 this this bird was from the late 50s early 60s and they had three of them. one was uh, about 25 feet I believe 150 and one 100 feet across. Now you know Mr. Herrera, by the time he was in you know 2009 whenever it was in Indonesia, the, that one was 300 feet across man-made. Think of it. think of the length of a football field round. Floating.
3: <laughs> Refresh the everyday with men. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest needs no introduction. Yeah. He's been on the show before and he has one of the top episodes that we have
1: ever produced. Okay. ...entities. And they see even their clothing... none of it tracks because it's so far advanced well you know the first of all we asked for them to give evidence of they were who they were where they were we want to see a DD-214 we want to see records and then we
3: just how are you able to tell which one of these are man-made versus ET
1: at a great distance you would know Uh, if you're up close enough the man-made ones are going to have components Protrusions, electromagnetic, often there are going to be s- seams, welding marks. Uh, underneath there could be pipes and other things. It's very clearly a man-made machine. The extraterrestrial ones, seamless. Uh, they're, 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 they're extruded in this process of how they create them. Uh, even the light they give off is very different because it's coming through such so pure material science, extremely pure materials uh, and then if you so don't have... We're if, still in the infancy stages compared... I'm sorry. We're still in the infancy stages of those compared to... I'm afraid in 2023, we're certainly not in infancy. We, we, have, we have technologies and material science that are far beyond. Look at what uh, Stephen Digna talked about, that Raytheon device. Out of a million people who would have seen or touched that thing, one million of them would have said it was extraterrestrial no one would have thought we had that kind of technology ai uh, organic quality to it uh, that if you look at his testimony carefully uh, but that's how they've been getting away with doing the abductions the quote alien abduction hoax the way they have been able to do it is have technologies and also creatures that are look like they're Gray or reptilian or whatever—they're—I know men who've worked on them, actually fabricated them. Those are man-made, uh, and they're used for their psychological warfare of purpose. This is one that I, I would love to get Dr. Jacques Vallée to release this document he has from 1985. It's a CIA official document, and it describes the CIA conducting abductions, alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina, quote, for their psychological warfare value. Now, this is now, what, almost 40 years ago, 38 years ago. So this, those sort of projects, aside from being a crime in any jurisdiction anywhere on the planet, uh, and a crime against humanity... Is creating this false flag psychology, the preparation, because people are brainwashed thinking the aliens are mutilating and the aliens are abducting us. They have no need to do that. Those That's this disinformation campaign using incredibly high-tech technologies that we've studied from the extraterrestrials. So this is one of the real problems is that a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And this was my concern when, when uh, David Grush started. This is one of the real problems. Alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina. The CIA conducting abductions. Alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina. Getting away with doing the abductions. Right in 2020, Raytheon device. It's extraterrestrial. No one would have thought we had that kind of technology the abductions the carefully uh but that's how they've been getting away with doing the abductions the quote alien abduction hoax the way they've been able to do it is have technologies and also Creatures that are look like they're gray or reptilian or whatever. they are I know men who've worked on them, actually fabricated them. Those are man-made. Uh, and they're used for their psychological warfare of purpose. This is one thing. I would love to get Dr. Jacques Vallée to release this document he has from 1985. It's a CIA official document. And it describes the CIA conducting... Abductions alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina quote for their psychological warfare value now this is now what almost forty years ago thirty eight years ago so this those sort of projects aside warfare, from being a crime in any jurisdiction anywhere on the planet
4: for their psychological uh, and a warfare crime against humanity value.
1: Carefully. Uh, but that's how they've been getting away with doing the abductions. The, quote, alien abduction hoax started talking about an event where, you know, the aliens were murdering people.
0: CIA carries out alien abduction hoax for psychological warfare value, exclamation point. Write me in,
4: Trista for president, and we shut it all down. Elon Musk, where's my seed money?
1: I'm going, and that went all through Capitol Hill. I'm going, I know that incident, that was us. (laughs) So people, and I don't think he he understands because he's a young man. The, The problem of having a little bit of information on this and thinking you know a lot is that you're gonna step into a booby trap and the booby trap is being played by the very unconstitutional criminals that people like him were trying to uncover. You were working with Grosh, correct? We had met uh, in March of uh, 2022 in Culpeper, Virginia. I was asked to meet with him, but, uh, and uh, he had a security guy there with him. And uh, I told him, "Look, I'll cooperate and get you anything you need." And so, over about a 14-month period, until he told me he was leaving the U.S. government in April uh, of this year, um, we would, you know, periodically, occasionally, we spoke. Through an encrypted system, usually it was encrypted texts, but I have all these. This know. is this is. Correct me if I'm wrong. This
3: is the guy that he was just in the news. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he yeah. and uh
1: came out that there there was a downed craft. We retrieved it right. with with bodies. Correct. Yes, and those were a lot of this information I was providing to his bosses, and then he was on a he was in a field operation to go out. And get to places. Now he never got in to see it firsthand, but he talked to people, of course, that, that knew about it. I mean, this um, actually hit the mainstream media. Oh yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So you know, he was not the he's not the principal person I've been dealing with. Um, the principal person would be the equivalent of a two or three star general if he was still in the military. But, but I think that you know, we I try my goal in all of this is that if someone is trying to do this on behalf of the legal government of the United States. I will give them any information I have. Uh, But we have a lot. I mean, our repository of intelligence on this by far is the largest in the world, certainly exceeds the legal government of the United States. I will say that for a fact. Now, my concern is, is that when you go from that to then falling into the clutches of folks in the UFO community, who then start giving you these tall tales of all these horrible things the aliens have been doing. I'm going, yes, but you haven't been read in to that part of the project. So this is like an onion, a stinking onion. You peel 500 layers of this onion back and there's 500 more. and. This is where a little bit of just superficial knowledge is a very dangerous thing, extremely dangerous and the, my concern about that is that this is exactly the game that's going to be run on Congress in the White House well, I mean you're already seeing it i mean this, yep.
3: like i said this look i don't i don't trust the mainstream media i anyways well they're they're asset of the of, of this group but absolutely a lot of people do, and a uh-huh. lot of people don't put any legitimacy on anything unless. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, right. unless they touch it, nobody, right. Right. I, I'm not going to say nobody because it, it, there's a growing, the population that doesn't believe in the mainstream media is just continuously getting larger. Yeah, it's probably half the population. Yeah. But don't, you, why do you think, I mean, that would be the biggest story in the world. Mm-hmm. We've, re- we've recovered an ET craft with bodies. Mm-hmm. And well, every... Yeah. On every news network, they're all covering it. Mm-hmm. And then just like that, it's it's gone. No photos, mm-hmm. no nothing. Mm-hmm. What happened? Why well, do you think it just disappeared? Well, we know why. I'm-
0: Hi, we were listening to this mega interview with Dr. Stephen Greer. It's called Black Budget, Stargate, Raytheon, Lockheed, Skunk Works, UAP, UFO, Secrecy on Sean Ryan's show seven months ago. I'll pull up a little bit.
1: Just how are you and poverty problems. I mean, look,
3: you know, I just want to backtrack on that real quick. When you're talking about people dying from from inhaling these particles and these oh, chemicals yeah. and shit, I mean, you know, this is, this unfortunately is a touchy subject, you know, the the, the pollution and, and climate change and all this shit. But what I can attest to that is 100% fact is what you just said. Because I've been to these parts of the world, Yeah, I've spent, over a decade in these parts of the world and you see one you see all these veterans coming home dying of weird cancers from shit that they breathed in overseas yep. and and I can tell you in the winter time to- the winter time in Afghanistan the soot is so thick in the air mm-hmm. that if you go outside for I mean we're talking just yep. 5 minutes yep. and you go back inside and spit in mm-hmm. spit in the sink or spit in whatever blow your nose yeah. you're it you're 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 going
1: to spit gray. right? And But those fine particles get into your lungs and then your circulatory and heart and cause a huge number of problems. Not just cancers, but I'm talking heart, lung disease. So why are we doing that when these technologies have existed? Now this same corrupt organization, because it doesn't just deal with one issue, have been responsible for... Basically, hoovering up, vacuuming up all of these technologies for a hundred years. Uh, I know people personally, personally, who have been murdered because they had one, and it's because they very against my advice.
0: What they
1: had a what problems? Not just cancers, but I'm talking heart, lung disease. So why are we doing that when these technologies have existed? Now, this same corrupt organization, because it doesn't just deal with one issue have been responsible for basically hoovering up, vacuuming up all these technologies for 100 years. Uh, I know people personally, personally, who have been murdered because they had one. And it's because they very against my advice, AMA, against medical advice, against their own security interest, they wanted to keep it secret. And they thought they were going to be so clever, and they were going to outfox this big super state of Thugs! I'm going, yeah. dude. You have no idea what you're up against here. And then they think they're going to do encryption and keep it secret. I'm going, oh my god! You think this group needs to worry about an electromagnetic encryption when they can target a volume of space anywhere and extract anything being said? I mean, I, can- I mean, it's you know, and, and it's I understand it because if you're in the normal engineering world, you're not going to know believe. it. It's hard to believe it, but I said, you know, if you don't believe it, just wait. You're going to be dead, or it'll be confiscated. Then I, you know, you're only you're lucky if all they do is come in and kick your door in, hit you with a national security order, and drag it off. You know, that's your best outcome. That's your best case scenario if you do it the conventional way. So I go look. You know, it's like what well, is that saying attributed to Einstein? The the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. The reason I can prove that the strategy most people use doesn't work is that we can prove these technologies have been around for over a hundred years, and you and I are still tied into a coal-fired or gas-fired power grid, right? So, if, if these strategies, if the if the conventional business and technology strategies were Going to work, they would have worked before you know you and I were born. So we need to think, we need to have different thinking about this strategically. So what we're saying is, all of these technologies, if they're used for peaceful purposes, would really give us a whole new civilization. Beautiful. Uh, now, the downside is, given what humans are, we like to take any new technological breakthrough and weaponize it. But the truth is, they've already done that. We've already weaponized these things.
3: How do you think that these, the anti-gravity technology that's using gravity as a power source, how is that happening? Do you have a
1: brief explanation? on? I I really think it's gravity control and gravity wave control. Uh, As for power source, I think the power source is better described as this quantum vacuum Energy or zero point energy. But if you, so there's, it's like two separate things but are related. So you can have a zero point energy system or a free energy system. It doesn't move and it's not affecting gravity. But at a certain resonant frequency and power, and it has to do with uh, vortices, toroidal. Energy patterns, you can then cause what's what I call mass cancellation, where an object literally takes on weightlessness. Now, if you go back in the documentary, we touch on this all the way back to B, the T. Townsend Brown and what was later called the Phil Brown effect, in the late 1920s, he took a very high voltage system at a very certain uh, with wires around a crystalline material and it levitated, just floated. Now, that was almost 100 years ago, late 20s. Uh, That was then the Kowski Frost experiment in Germany, around the same time, confirmed it. Later, the whole B filled Brown effect, studying very high voltage VHV systems, began to be increasingly studied and classified in the 30s and 40s. By the time World War II ended, Adolf Hitler had a disc shaped electrogravitic, but it wasn't stable. Which is why he could never use it in the war, but it was brought back to America by Paul Mellon and uh, Patton General Patton, and uh, Alan Dulles uh, but so that device actually became a very important object to study at the end of World War II. and of course it also that technology got advanced greatly by studying the extraterrestrial materials that we also were beginning to acquire. By using electromagnetic uh, weapons to down the ET craft, so you had two rivers of technology being developed from the twenties, thirties, forties that intersected with the extraterrestrial technologies, and they hybridized them. Shit. So that's what happened between nineteen forty-five and fifty-five that decade. How, how many different ways do you think
3: is, is how many different ways are there to harness this kind of energy? Oh, I think there are dozens.
1: How did how did Tesla do it? Tesla, I think, was actually capturing resonant magnetic field energy of the Earth that's almost boundless. So There are a lot of, quote, free energy approaches. I think the ones that use these very high voltage systems that create a sort of a vector, a tap, as it were, into this uh, quantum vacuum energy and zero point energy field. Uh, those began to be stumbled across but sort of episodically as a phenomenon back in the late 1800s because that was the heyday when they were first discovering electromagnetism and I think Maxwell and Ferret, some of these guys stumbled across this so they didn't know what it was you were getting more energy out than you had to put in so I think you can have a rotational coil based device uh, Floyd Sweet who we feature in, in the movie had a solid state mm-hmm. device that was about this big that could run a 300 horsepower electric engine for your car. No other batteries. The little teeny. Uh, yeah, that was you had video of that and. Yep, we have video off. of it. It was tested by a Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tom Bearden, who's a very dear friend of mine. Just passed away. Um, he handed off all of what he knew about this to us. We have a um, file that was a, a CIA operative named Sajiki that I knew, but he had a a guy I know named uh, John Badini who um, was allowed to copy a bunch of confiscated patents, uh, and we have that disk. So we need to send up a a research lab to do this and get to the bottom of it, I think, Sean, very quickly, because we need to do it. Look, if this technology came out in next year, oh, damn. or two by a group that can just put it out open source it thousands of companies would then adopt it and we'd be able to really transform the trajectory of of, of the planet now there are going to be certain losers in that process like any new technology oil gas coal centralized public utilities they'll all have to be retired
0: but keep in mind it's going to take 15
1: years to do this you know your car and my car of running, If you have a, a conventional vehicle, 100 million vehicles are made a year. There are one and a half billion motor vehicles on the road na- worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's 15 years if you waved a magic wand and converted every manufacturing entity to a zero-point electric system. That's not going to happen. So, you know, it's going to take a couple of decades to make this transition anyway. It should have happened 100 years ago. Why do you think so many UFOs spottings are are happening around these nuclear sites? Well, we know the answer to that, and of course he didn't get to go into it, but Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, who was the uh, U-2 pilot who was there, um, he dealt specifically with this information dealing with the the, uh, extraterrestrial concern over nuclear facilities, and it's multiple reasons. One, they're very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of biological life on Earth. Obviously, mutual assured destruction would do that. Uh, And believe it or not, these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future. But they're also secondarily, maybe equally, concerned about containing the warlike nature of humans from being exported out into space. Now, the nuclear issue, when you detonate a nuclear device or there's an accident, everyone knows what an EMP is. We've talked about electromagnetic pulse. There's also a type of scalar pulse that goes out that literally rips through space-time that disrupts interstellar communication and travel. This is why, you know, I was talking to Gordon Crichton who is a MI6 guy and a military intelligence guy in the United Kingdom? Uh, basically, when we did that, uh, and believe it or not, these civilizations are very of biological life on Earth. A billion motor vehicles on the road worldwide. Mm-hmm. That's 15. The magic wand. Uh, and believe it or not, a magic wand and converted every manufacturing entity to a 0.0. It should have happened a hundred years ago.
3: Why do you think
1: it should have happened a hundred years ago?
3: Why do you think
4: so many UFOs spottings are, are happening around these nuclear sites? Well, answer to point. That.
1: and of course, He didn't get to go into it, but Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, who was the uh, U-2 pilot who was
4: there, um, he dealt specifically with this
1: information dealing with the the, uh, extraterrestrial concern over nuclear facilities. And it's multiple reasons. One, they're very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of biological life on Earth. Obviously, mutual assured destruction would do that. Uh, And believe it or not, these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future. But they're also secondarily, maybe equally, concerned about containing the warlike nature of It should have happened 100 years ago. Why do you think so many
3: UFOs UFOs spottings are are happening around these nuclear
1: sites? Well, we know the answer to that. And, of course, he didn't get to go into it, but Lieutenant Colonel Heckert, who is the uh, U-2 pilot who was there... Um, he dealt specifically with this in, in, information dealing with the, the uh, extraterrestrial concern over nuclear facilities, and it, it's multiple reasons. One,
0: I'm making it clip.
1: They're very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of biological life on Earth. Obviously, mutual assured destruction would do that. Uh, and believe it or not, these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future but they're also secondarily maybe equally very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of biological life on earth obviously mutual assured destruction would do that Uh, and believe it or not these civilizations are very positively concerned with the human future but they're also secondarily maybe equally, concerned about containing the warlike nature of humans from being exported out into space. Now, the nuclear issue, when you detonate a nuclear device or there's an accident, everyone knows what an EMP is. We've talked about electromagnetic pulse. There's also a type of scalar pulse that goes out that literally rips through space-time that disrupts interstellar communication and travel this is why you know i was talking to gordon crichton who is an mi6 guy and a military intelligence guy in the united kingdom who's passed away but he's one of our w- very concerned that we would actually do uh, something that could threaten the life of kingdom who's passed away but he's one of our witnesses he used to publish flying saucer review that uh, uh Charles and Prince Philip subscribe to. Interesting. But he, what he said was basically when we did that, at the first atomic bomb explosion, it actually was like kicking a hornet's nest because now Teller, Edward Teller and Oppenheimer, they didn't know that when one of those things would go off that it would create this kind of pulse, not electromagnetic pulse, but this other wave that actually goes through the entangled cosmos in a way that is highly disruptive. To uh, other civilizations communications and travel, so this began to be a huge red flag went up over the earth, warning this is a group of you know primitive emerging civilization that is a, th- a threat to themselves and a threat to others out there they don 't even know how threat what a big threat this is so the whole nuclear issue uh, is what caused the modern era of uh, UFO, ET-related events to take place because I think they've obviously been watching the Earth and, and been involved in, in seeing its development for millennia. There's good evidence for that. I mean, there are, cave, there are cave drawings from 5,000 years ago that have been carbon dated to that age that show a classic disc and with look like ET beans outside of it from France and India and all over. So I don't think it's, it's not as if they didn't know we were here. It's that when we hit that point and what they really were trying to get Truman and Eisenhower to do the ETs were to wind that down and go on a different trajectory, which is what we're recommending now, 60 years later. And that is to pivot, to getting rid of this conflict-oriented endless war scenario with these kind of weapons and move towards a peaceful solution to our conflicts, but then begin to adopt these technologies so that human civilization can advance without cannibalizing the earth and killing off the oceans. So I think this is something that we took a pass on it was a, a tragic error the big error happened on here i'm just be honest with you pretty much the year i was born ironically 1955 to 57 this whole enterprise went sideways and when eisenhower subsequently lost control over these deep black operations that's when he gave up beware the military industrial complex i mean he was very pro-military he was a general world war ii and and then of course that's why also The first director, one of the early directors of CIA, uh, 1947, when the CIA was founded, uh, Admiral Roscoe Hillenketer, stated in a letter to the New York Times after Eisenhower gave that speech, and he said, the secrecy around UFOs is a threat to the national security. He didn't say the UFOs were. He said the secrecy around it is a threat to the national security. So when people ask me, are the UFOs a threat to the national security? I said, the man-made ones absolutely are. The extraterrestrial ones aren't, but the secrecy around it and its aggregate is a dire threat to world and national security, no question. In the documentary,
3: you talk about some of the uh, UFO technology, the metal is so pure, it cannot be replicated.
1: Can you expound (laughs) on that a little bit? Yeah, so we think, you know, if you're driving a car, flying on a (laughs) Boeing 737 or whatever, we dig that stuff up, you know, (laughs) aluminum and metal. We smelt it, refine it, roll it, put it together, rivets, welding, etc. An extraterrestrial vehicle and all its components are not made that way. They are made by creating a sort of an ultrasonic, very high-tech wave that pulls, let's call it the substrate, the elementals that are subatomic, together on if you can visualize this like almost like a blueprint in energy and it materializes it so it's seamless the even the, the parts that are in it anything that's energy or electronic related is on a nanomolecular level entwined in it this is why it's very hard to study this stuff i mean it's not like taking apart a part of soviet mig or something I know the men who worked on these projects. And, I mean, you're dealing with really extraordinary, elegant, beautiful uh, material sciences and matter. And that's why the materials are so pure, because they're not dug up and refined. They're actually assembled from this baseline uh, energy-matter interface in in space-time and the I would give it make it real for you there was a captain on a navy contract vessel back in 62 or 3 and before he died he contacted me great guy um and he had been you know they were testing the atlas uh, rockets for intercontinental ballistic but these didn't have nukes on them they were testing the the rocket and guidance systems back way back and they had had a lot of uh, UFO sightings. because so the ETs were watching how we were developing and kind of this breakout speed with thermonuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic, Cold War. And one night, they had an object on radar. It was triangulated. They had it on ship radar. So was, the captain has this guy he say, hey, look, we have this and boogie. And then it got confirmed from their, the command center. Uh, and... They said, oh, and they because they were able to do that, unfortunately, they triangulated it, and it was hit with some kind of weapon. This was 63, and it dropped, boom, like a rock right into the South Atlantic Ocean. So he was vectored over to the estimated point of impact and was there to retrieve it. And I have his whole story. And He never wanted to come forward because even when he had had surgery once, They had an intelligence guy in there when he was under anesthesia. Be sure he didn't talk about this. But I have his whole information. So what happened is that when he got to the site, there was about a six-by-six pod, and they pulled it up on the ship. Uh, And it wasn't the whole craft. The whole craft had gone down, but apparently there was some sort of one-moded thing, and there were four—
2: Dr. I'm and going to Greer use his
1: language. Little man looks like the color of a Sicilian, I, kind of brown,
2: we but out. 39
1: inches tall, uh, no hair, and also These no proposals. external ears, no no penna flaps, very fine featured But he, the reason he contacted me, and this is why this is so funny, you know, I, I've debriefed a thousand, over a thousand men like this. He said, "I can't figure out how they got in and out of their uniforms." So they had a one-piece uniform, now no zipper and no buttons, and no visible way they could get them out of this thing. Hmm. He says, "How do they put them on?" <laughs> i said well they don't it, they don't need a zipper or a button because they are kind of materialized around them and then dematerialized off using this technology, this very advanced trans-dimensional physics. <laughs> and he went, "Oh my God, I would have never it. I said, "No, I mean it, it's how they're doing it." So this is why people who encounter an actual ET craft or the ET, the EVANS, extraterrestrial biological entities, and they see even their clothing, <laughs> none of it tracks because it's so far advanced.
3: Well, you know, the, there was another, um, maybe I can't remember if it was one or two of the whistleblowers that spoke about this. They spoke about, or maybe it was you talking about it, but um, when they got into the craft,
1: the inside of the craft seemed almost infinite. Yep. Yep. That was, that was one of I was representing a whistleblower who is not ready to be unmasked yet. He still doesn't want to be known publicly, but yes, because you have a dimensional space shift as well. So an object that looks 30 feet across, you go in and it was so big. You could, if you'd thrown a football, you couldn't hit the other side of it. Uh, So, You know, again, all of this gets into an understanding of physics uh, that, unfortunately, you know, we're not teaching our kids the real physics, Mm -hmm. the science of anything. I mean, we're all locked 100 years. This is the other part of the lost century I talk about, is that it has to do with medical technologies. I mean, as a doctor, I've seen some things that, my God, if we had that, the lives that could be saved, spinal cord regeneration, regeneration of lost limbs. You've seen that stuff, yeah. At an underground lab on the Mexican-Texas border. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. How were you
3: getting access to this?
1: The people who like what I'm trying to do that are in the system take me. And (laughs) I went to one place. A very funny story. And they, you know, they had the Marines there. You know, there was all these checkpoints, and and the guy said. Finally, we got to the last one. And this was a facility, I don't say where it was, but, I mean, basically World War Three. Pearl. The guy said, oh, it looks 30 feet across, you go in. Craft. The inside of the craft seemed almost infinite. Yep. Yep. That was, that was, yep, that was, that was one of my, I was representing a whistleblower who is not ready to be unmasked yet. He's still... 63 and it dropped, boom, like a rock he was under anesthesia be sure he didn't talk about this but I have his whole information so what happened is that when he got to the site there was about a 6 by 6 pod and they pulled it up on the ship uh, and it wasn't the whole World War 3 for all submarines to be run out of there and he the, my mili- my escort, my military advisor, finally we get to this last point where we go into the inner you know it 's this huge place deep, and the guy goes and w- and what is dr greer uh here for and he says you don't have a need to know, so he played this the same need to know thing I mm-hmm. we went in so uh, beyond full disclosure i've never worked for the government or a contractor, I have no clearances, I don't want a clearance. Uh, but there are people who know that what we're doing, we're fighting the good fight, and the people in the system, a lot of them are very good people. This is what a lot of people need to understand. They got trapped in a system where you get read into more and more of these compartments. Next thing you know, you're in something. And the guys, one th- as I say this, I want to make a call for more whistleblowers watching to come out. There are guys out there watching your show, Delta Force, Navy SEAL, uh, people in aerospace industry, various military commands that have dealt with or seen this, and they need to come forward because now there's a safe pathway for them to do it. And if you're corporate, now there's a six-month clock on you. And we, we let me be very clear. We know who you are and where your assets are. And after those six months, you're subject to criminal prosecution, and you'll be lucky if that's all you're subject to. So this is something, this is getting very serious right now. That's why I'm on your show. There's a, there's a six-month window. Yep. Yeah. When does that expire? From the date this bill is finally signed. I mean, it's out of committee, it's going to be voted, and then it'll be, it's an amendment to the intelligence bill. Okay, so it's not actually, we're not so wrapped it's, up with that. No, it's, it is, it's done. It's pretty much, it's, it's done.
3: But it's not in effect
1: yet. Uh, I'll have is to it, ask, I'll have to ask my guy who's shepherding it through. Okay. Yeah. Um. I think it is actually. Let's talk about the secret air show in 1988. <laughs> Norton. Yeah. Air Force Base. It's a decommissioned Air Force Base, California, um, where there was, uh, the original, uh, ARV that we learned about, uh, apparently it had mercury component parts from, in 1959, 60 time period. And it was sort of a circular object, came up to it like a cupola. You see the drawings we have. And we have a man who was at that air show who described it in full. It had scorch marks and other things on it and they had been told at this secret air show that it in fact had been uh, out in the solar system, out in the space and back. This is late 1950s, early 1960s. Now, ironically, my uncle who worked on the lunar module put the first man on the moon. That was 1969. So they're working one track at Grumman, which became north of Grumman. But then in these deep black projects, they have these things that are zipping out there. And that's 100% true. Uh, My understanding, it did not have interstellar capability. It did not have teleportation capability, and didn't have any of that really exotic but it was a energy a free free energy combined with anti-gravity where if they could get that up there and go out in the space and other places so uh that air show um was basically showing some old antique ones right this is 1988 this this bird was from the late 50s or 60s and they had three of them, one was uh about twenty five feet i believe one fifty and one a hundred feet across. Now you know Mr. Herrera, by the time he was in you know two thousand and nine whenever it was in Indonesia the, that one was three hundred feet across man made Think of it. think of the length of a football field round floating how are you, just how are you able to tell which one of these are man made versus e t At a great distance, you wouldn't know. Uh, If you're up close enough, the man-made ones are gonna have components. Protrusions, electromagnetic, often, they're gonna be seams, welding marks. uh, Underneath, there could be pipes and other things. It's very clearly a man-made machine. The extraterrestrial ones, seamless. Uh, they're, 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 They're extruded in this process of how they create them. Uh, even the light they give off is very different because it's coming through such so pure material science, extremely pure materials. Uh, and then,
3: if you so don't we're, have, we're if, still in the infancy stages. Compared, I'm sorry, we're still in the infancy
1: stages of those. Compared to, uh, I'm afraid, in 2023, we're certainly not in infancy. We we have, we have technologies and material science that are far beyond. Look at what. Uh, Stephen Digna talked about that Raytheon device. Out of a million people who would have seen or touched that thing, one million of them would have said it was extraterrestrial. No one would have thought we had that kind of technology. AI, uh, organic quality to it. Uh, that, if you look at his testimony carefully, uh, but that's how they've been getting away with doing the abductions, the quote, alien abduction hoax. The way they've been able to do it is have technologies, and also creatures that are look like they're gray or reptilian or whatever. They're—I know men who've worked on them, actually fabricated them. Those are man-made, uh, and they're used for their psychological warfare of purpose. This is one. That, I, I would love to get Doctor Jacques Vallée to release this document. He has from 1985. It's a CIA official document, and it describes the CIA conducting abductions, alien abductions in Brazil and Argentina, quote, for their psychological warfare value. Now, this is now, what, almost 40 years ago, 38 years ago. So this, those sort of projects, aside from being a crime in any jurisdiction anywhere on the planet, uh, and a crime against humanity. Is creating this false flag psychology, the preparation, because people are brainwashed thinking the aliens are mutilating and the aliens are abducting us. They have no need to do that. Those, That's this Sick disinformation up. campaign using incredibly high-tech technologies that we've studied from the extraterrestrials. So this is one of the real problems is that A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And this was my concern when when, uh, David Grush started talking about an event where, you know, the aliens were murdering people. I'm going, and that went all through Capitol Hill. I'm going, I know that incident. That was us. So people, and I don't think he he understands because he's a young man. The, The problem of having a little bit of information on this and thinking you know a lot is that you're going to step into a booby trap. And the booby trap is being played by the very unconstitutional criminals that people like him were trying to uncover. You were working with Grosh, correct? We had met uh, in March of of 2022 in Culpeper, Virginia. I was asked to meet with him. uh, And uh, he had a security guy there with him. And uh, I told him, look, I'll cooperate and get you anything you need. And so, over about a fourteen-month period, until he told me he was leaving the U.S. government in April uh, of this year, um, we would, you know, periodically, occasionally, we spoke through an encrypted system. Usually, it was encrypted texts, but I have all these.
3: This know. is this is. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the guy that he was just in the news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. and uh, came out that there there was a downed craft. We retrieved it right. with with
1: bodies. Correct. Yes. And those were, a lot of this information I was providing to his bosses, and then he was on a, he was in a field operation to go out and get to places. Now, he never got in to see it firsthand, but he talked to people, of course, that, that knew about it. I mean, this um, actually hit the mainstream media, correct? Oh, yeah, correct. Mm-hmm, yep, yep. So, you know, <clears throat> he was not the, he's not the principal person I've been dealing with, um, the principal person would be the equivalent of a two or three star general if he was still in the military but but i think that you know we i try my goal in all of this is that if someone is trying to do this on behalf of the legal government of the United States i will give them a- any information i have uh but we have a lot i mean our repository of intelligence on this by far is the largest in the world certainly exceeds the legal government of the United States. I will say that for a fact. Now, my concern is, is that when you go from that to then falling into the clutches of folks in the UFO community, who then start giving you these tall tales of all these horrible things the aliens have been doing, I'm going, yes, but you haven't been read in to that part of the project. So this is like an onion, a stinking onion. You peel 500 layers of this onion back and there's 500 more. And this is where a little bit of just superficial knowledge is a very dangerous thing, extremely dangerous and the my concern about that is that this is exactly the game that's going to be run on Congress in the White House
3: well, I mean you're already seeing it i mean the, yeah. like i said this look i don't I don't trust the mainstream media i anyways so. well they're they're asset of the of this group but absolutely a lot of people do, and a I lot know. of people don't put any legitimacy on anything, unless Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, right. unless they touch it, nobody, right. Right. I'm not going to say nobody, because there's a growing, the population that doesn't believe in the mainstream media is just continuously getting larger. It's probably half the population. Yeah. But don't, you, why do you think, I mean, that would be the biggest story in the world. Mm-hmm. We've re- we've recovered an ET craft with bodies, mm-hmm. and well, every yeah. on every news network they're all covering it. Mm-hmm. And then just like that, it's it's gone. No photos, mm-hmm. no nothing. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. Why well, do you think it just
1: disappeared? Well, we know why. I mean, in two thousand one, when we did the first National Press Club event, we had a guy who was on a team that, for several years in the sixties, retrieved the bodies and the craft. And he spoke and he had all of his information there. His name is Sergeant Clifford Stone. He's in our archive. Go look at it. So the people we just had at the National Press Club, a YouTube decorated a YouTube pilot who encountered these objects back in the sixties, seventies, eighties, worked at the Lockheed uh, operations and skunk work interface with Ben Rich directly, personally. He didn't get to go into that. But these guys are all available to, to give testimony. These are first-hand. David Grush was second-hand. He never was principally involved. Stephen Degna there with and saw was with two Raytheon guys with these man-made Raytheon devices. DC Long was in an underground facility out on the Range 19 with, it, with some Delta guys, took his dad in, who was a contractor, and they accidentally saw this... System levitating a hundred-ton concrete block up in the air, along with some giant boulders. Absolutely true. And we had people who were, you know, at uh, other operations that we brought. Now those are all hundred. Every one of our seven hundred and fifty disclosure project folks are first-hand witnesses, meaning that they weren't people trying to find out like David Grush was. They're people who actually were in there. Interesting that. The media won't interview them. It is. If they really want to know the truth, why would you want to talk to a field operator who didn't have first-hand information and skip over the people who actually touched the things, saw them? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the the public has to ask the question very quickly. Um, How do we get the truth out? I think we're asking everyone to write their member of Congress and their two senators and the White House as an activist responsibility as a citizen of the United States and refer to the National Press Club event and the Disclosure Project Archive because we've sent all this in and say, now we need to see action taken. Now, whether the media, the corporate media, that I honestly believe is controlled by this same corrupt enterprise... I mean,
3: Doc, they're definitely controlled. I mean, there's multiple... There's multiple videos of them all reporting the exact same shit. I mean, right, right. it's it's, it's ridiculous that anybody even watches it anymore.
1: Well, I mean, it's staged. And the problem with that, they do have, and this is the other big announcement, if there are any attorneys listening, we now have over 150 attorneys and legal professionals on our legal team. And not only will they protect and defend any whistleblowers, uh, and the project, but they also are We're moving quickly towards issuing a civilian RICO, Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organization Lawsuit, who are going to be in the target, all these corporations and individuals. You can't use a civilian but RICO yes. against a government agency, but you can, you can target RICO the individuals and the corporations. That we are going <laughs> to be doing in concert with this bill, saying now you need to come out of the cold. Or you'll be criminally. We can't criminally prosecute, but there is a U.S. attorney who's on the team that when we find actionable intelligence and get it introduced into court in a civilian RICO, he would then take it and see if he can pursue it under a criminal statute.
4: Good news. As I will invite Dr. Stephen Greer to Christopher Perez.
0: That write me in, that say great news. Great, this fucking great news. Fucking accountability is coming. Count-
4: Smiley face. There was uh, um extraterrestrial evidence
0: or face prosecution, criminal prosecution. Free energy economy. That's an interesting. Term. Okay. To cut this down. See if that's short enough, nope. Gotta cut more. Okay, I'm gonna cut out the Billy Carson stuff. Still too long. Okay, I cut this too. See here. Hmm. Post still too long. See if that's short enough too long Hmm. still too long still too long See about that. Still too long. Still too long. Still too long. It says try shortening it on. Check out the Billy Carson stuff. So too long down. As president, I would implement more centrist sand for people to vote. Okay. And take out the fox stuff, I guess. Finally, okay. Phew. You guys still there? Oh, you are. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was a nice long ASMR. If anybody else?
3: I got another question, and the question is: Great people have come forward in the last few months. Yeah, you've you've had. I don't even know how many people, how many different whistleblowers have contacted you guys, and and you know, it, if you're not looking at this with a skeptical eye for anybody, if you know, that's right. listening, you should be. Yeah, you how should. are you
1: deciphering? Mm-hmm. Who the legitimate whistleblowers are from the quacks? First of all, we ask for them to give evidence of they were who they were where they were We want to see a DD-214. We want to see records and then we check them out and there's someone who's in our team who has um, the ability to check them out through the system Now even with that, you know, you could be tricked uh, the best I can do, and I remember, we're not the U.S. government with trillions of dollars or the Pentagon with 700 billion. We're a volunteer organization, best best we can do. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, good because I've debriefed legitimate people for 30 years on this, literally over 1,000 people. Not all of them are in the archive, because some of them never wanted their names given to me, but they were legit. So... What I say is that if if the story doesn't track, and and the other is if what they're sharing comports with the evidence from another source, but they don't know each other, there's no collusion. So then you say, okay, this gentleman in 1980 saw this, this guy in 2009 saw this, and it was essentially the same kind of operation craft, what have you, they don't know each other. But they're, and they're very reluctant. They say, you're not going to believe this. this, is what they all say. I said, trust me, I'll probably believe it. But then when you get a point of corroboration, so what I try to do is find multiple points of corroboration. Okay. Like we had like a dozen people who knew about the ET concerns, about the nuclear issue. So there's a whole area of multiple points of corroboration. Um, and it's particularly useful when it's a similar event or company or facility, base where they were there at different times and don't know each other. So there's, then you don't have the, the someone being able to match up their stories in some tall tale. So I have my own approach to this. Okay. But obviously we don't have at this point. Now the difference is that if we, when we launch this RICO, civilian RICO action, we'll have subpoena power and also discovery. So we can go to these spaces. Now we'll have to find a federal judge who will certify it. We'll see. <laughs> I'm glad we went through that because, I mean, it is you know it's, mm-hmm. it's tough to take somebody's word for things like this, and oh, so I, I, I think don't it's important you know to- I do the best I can. Now we almost were tricked by a guy back in 1997 who was coming to the briefings I set up for Congress back then, off-site at the Weston Hotel in Georgetown. and Edgar Mitchell was there. A bunch of fun people were there. Uh, and it turned out he was telling a tall tale. And my military advisor at that time was at a bar, and he started talking about stuff that this guy knew absolutely was false. So I had him escorted off the premises. So, you know, you basically get one bite at the apple with us at telling something that ends up to be nonsense. Um, so that's that's kind of our policy. But, we, you know, because we don't have any kind of significant... Our budget for all of this has been volunteers and a few donations and people who are de- devoted to it. Um, so we can do only what we can do with the assets we
3: have. Well, you got a lot of assets. I mean, we talked about your yeah. crowdfunding capabilities yeah. earlier, and those yeah. are quite impressive.
1: Right. So yeah, we do the best we can. You yeah. know, uh, but I always tell people I'm I'm confident of the ones that we're putting forward, and of the ones we have in the archive, uh, which have not come forward. And and listen, anyone listening, you can come forward and only give information to me that you think is useful. If you want to go to the AERO process and be protected under the new law and give your testimony, we can do that. If you want to come out publicly, we can do that. It's really up to the person to determine uh, if, if they were in special forces or Lockheed scientists or whatever how they want to do it. We just want as many people to come forward because there's there's strength in numbers. But here's the other thing, Sean, we really need. We need to continue to grow the current state-of-the-art knowledge of where facilities are, operations, code numbers, code names, all that. Because that's how the investigators, and if necessary, People who will, by force, if necessary, get these projects under control. Uh, that's what they need to have.
3: Well, all the ways to contact you for the whistleblowers and anybody wanting to get involved to volunteer are um, linked below. Great. And and just how are you able to tell which one of these are man-made versus ET?
1: At a great distance. A little bit of information on this and thinking you know a lot. Give yeah, them any mur- information yeah. I have. Uh, but we have a lot.
0: We should provide, um, not retribution, what's the, uh, the term for um, uh, reparations or um, there's one word for it. Anyway, so uh, the families of all these people who have been murdered by the U.S. government should be uh, given reparations or whatever the League of Torm is for it. Hi. Hello, welcome back. And we're listening to the final part of Dr. Stephen Greer on the Sean Ryan Show. On YouTube, it's got 2.27 million views. And this is called Dr. Stephen Greer, Black Budget, Stargate, Raytheon, Lockheed, Skunk Works, UAP, UFO, secret, secret, something.
1: But I mean, our repository Secrets. of intelligence on this, by far, is the largest in the world. It's certainly 65. exceeds the legal government of the United you States. Go I'll check say it that out. for a fact. Now, the, the, my concern is, is that when you go from that to then falling into the clutches of folks in the UFO community, who then start giving you these tall tells of all these horrible things the aliens have been doing. I'm going, yes, but you haven't been read in to that part of the project. So this is like an onion, a stinking onion. You peel 500 layers of this onion back and there's 500 more. and. This is where a little bit of just superficial knowledge is a very dangerous thing, extremely dangerous. And the, my concern about that is that this is exactly the game that's going to be run on Congress in the White House. Well, I mean, you're already seeing it. I mean, this, yeah, like I said, this.
3: Look, I don't, I don't trust the mainstream media. I, anyways.
1: Well, they're they asset of the
3: of this group, but absolutely, a lot of people do, and a I lot know. of people don't put any legitimacy on anything unless. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, mm-hmm. ABC, NBC, Right. unless they touch it, nobody, Right. right. I, I'm not going to say nobody because it, it, there's a growing, mm-hmm. the population that doesn't believe in the mainstream media is just continuously getting larger. It's probably half the
1: population. Yeah.
3: But don't, you, why do you think, I mean, that would be the biggest story in the world. Mm-hmm. We re- we've recovered an ET craft with bodies. Mm-hmm. And well, every... Yeah. On every news network, they're all covering it, mm-hmm. and then just like that, it's, it's gone. No photos, mm-hmm. no nothing. Mm-hmm. What happened?
1: Why well, do you think it just disappeared? Well, we know why. I mean, in 2001, when we did the first National Press Club event, we had a guy who was on a team that, for several years in the 60s, retrieved the bodies and the craft. And he spoke, and he had all of his information there. His name is Sergeant Clifford Stone. He's in our archive, go look at it. So the people we just had at the National Press Club, a U2 decorated, a YouTube pilot who encountered these objects back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, worked at the Lockheed uh, Operations and skunk work Interface with Ben Rich directly, personally. He didn't get to go into that. But these guys are all available to, to give testimony. These are firsthand. David Grush was second-hand, he never was principally involved. Stephen Digna there with and saw was with two Raytheon guys with these man-made Raytheon devices. DC Long was in an underground facility out on the Range 19 with, it, with some Delta guys, took his dad in, who was a contractor, and they accidentally saw this system levitating a 100-ton concrete block up in the air, along with some giant boulders. Absolutely. True. And we had people who were, you know, at uh, other operations that we brought. Now, those are all hundred. Every one of our 750 disclosure project folks are firsthand witnesses, meaning that they weren't people trying to find out like David Grush was. They're people who actually were in there. Interesting that the media won't interview them. If they really want to know the truth, why would you want to talk to a field operator who didn't have first-hand information and skip over the people who actually touched the things, saw them? You see what I'm saying? So the the public has to ask the question very quickly. Um, How do we get the truth out? I think we're asking everyone to write their member of Congress and their two senators and the White House as an activist responsibility as a citizen of the United States and refer to the National Press Club event and the Disclosure Let's Project Archive, because we've that. sent all this in and say, so, now we need to see action taken. Now, whether the media, the corporate media, that I honestly believe is controlled by this same corrupt enterprise. I mean, Doc, they're definitely controlled. I mean, there's multiple,
3: there's multiple videos of them all reporting the exact same shit. I mean, right, right. it's, it's it's ridiculous that anybody even watches it anymore
1: well i mean it's staged and the problem with that they do have and this is the other big announcement if there any attorneys listening we now have over 150 attorneys and legal professionals on our legal team and not only will they protect and defend any whistleblowers uh and the project but they also are we're moving quickly towards issuing a civilian RICO, Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organization lawsuit, are who are going to be in the target, all these corporations and individuals. You can't use a civilian RICO against a government agency, but you can you can target the individuals and the corporations. That we are going to be doing in concert with this bill, saying now you need to come out, and out of the cold, or you'll be criminally. We can't criminally prosecute, but there is a U.S. attorney Who's on the team that when we find actionable intelligence and uh, get it introduced into court in a civilian rico, jailed. he would then take it and see if he can pursue it under a criminal statute Mm-mm. I got another question, and the question is great people Back have come time. forward in the last few months
3: yeah. you've you've had a
0: damn time
3: i don 't even know how many people how many different whistleblowers have contacted you guys and and you know, it, if you're not looking at this with a skeptical eye, for anybody mm-hmm. you know that's right. listening, you should be. Yeah, you how should. are you deciphering mm-hmm. who the legitimate whistleblowers
1: are from the quacks? First of all, we ask for them to give evidence of they were who they were, where they were. We want to see a DD two fourteen, we want to see records, and then we check them out. And there's someone who's in our team who has. Um, the ability to check them out through the system. Okay. now even with that, you know you could be tricked. Uh, the best I can do now remember we're not the US government with trillions of dollars or the Pentagon with 700 billion. We're a volunteer organization best best we can do mm-hmm. but the other thing is because I've debriefed legitimate people for 30 years on this, literally over a thousand people. Not all of them are in the archive because some of them never wanted their names given to me, but they were legit. So what I say is that if if the story doesn't track, and, it, 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 and the other is if what they're sharing comports with the evidence from another source, but they don't know each other, there's no collusion, so then you say, okay, this gentleman in 1980 saw this, this guy in 2009 saw this, and it was essentially the same kind of operation craft, what have you. They don't know each other, but they're, and they're very reluctant. They say, you're not going to believe this. This is what they all say. I said, trust me, I'll probably believe it. But then when you get a points of corroboration, so what I try to do is find multiple points of corroboration. Okay. Like We had like a dozen people who knew about the ET concerns, about the nuclear issue. So there's a whole area of multiple points of cooperation. Um, and it's particularly useful when it's a similar event or company or facility, base, where they were there at different times and don't know each other. So there's, then you don't have the, the, someone being able to match up their stories in some tall tale. So I have my own approach to this, okay. but obviously we don't have at this point. Now the difference is that if we, when we launch this RICO, civilian RICO action will have subpoena power and also discovery. So we can go to these spaces. Now we'll have to find a federal judge who'll certify it. We'll see. <laughs> I'm glad we went through that
3: because, I mean, it is, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's tough to take somebody's word for things like this. And oh, so I, I,
1: I don't, you know. I do the best I can. Now mm-hmm. we almost were tricked by a guy back in 1997 who was coming to the briefings I set up for Congress back then. Off-site at the Westin Hotel in Georgetown, and Edgar Mitchell was there. A bunch of fun people were there, uh, and it turned out he was telling a tall tale. And my military advisor at that time was at a bar, and he started talking about stuff that this guy knew absolutely was false. So I had him escorted off the premises. So you know, you basically get one bite at the apple with us at telling something that ends up to be nonsense. Um, <laughs>
0: You do that? You dropped the bum on me, baby. You dropped the bum on me. Hi! Brandon Fugle. Um, did we? I know we didn't hear the end of that great, um,
5: interview. I'm if Dr. you've been Stephen Greer. In a car accident, don't call an attorney. Brandon Use Fugle, owner of instead. the mysterious
0: Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs>
3: Ladies and gentlemen, you are probably wow, wondering why I am smiling from ear to ear right now when <laughs> I'm about to
0: tell you. My next guest has taken
3: me two years just to make contact with. Thanks to his brother and his beautiful wife, Kristen. We have finally got him in SRS Studio for an in-person interview. (laughs) And it's a phenomenal interview. It's packed full of information and inspiration. He grew up in a blue-collar family in Utah, became a real estate mogul at a very young age, which eventually led to the purchase of a very famous ranch outside of Salt Lake City that all of us know as the Skinwalker Ranch. Lots of anomalies and phenomenons happen out there. A ton of UFO activity and unexplainable, at least at this moment in time, phenomenons. It's one of my favorite interviews of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the show, please like, comment, and subscribe. Go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and We see a lot of you taking our content, turning it into your own content. We made it easy for you. Go in the description. There is a link below full of raw reels that you can edit, put on your channel, put on your IG, your TikTok, wherever you want, monetize it, make money.
0: All we ask (laughs)
3: is that you give the Sean Ryan show the credit that it deserves. Other than that, do whatever you like with it. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Please welcome my new friend, Mr. Brandon Fugel, to the Sean Ryan Show. Brandon Fugel, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. It's a we, privilege to be with you. It's an honor to have you sitting across from me. We have been trying to get you in here for over a year, I think, ever since I first heard about... Skinwalker Ranch, and and it's finally come to fruition. I can't believe you are sitting here. I've I've been just ecstatic about interviewing you for for a long time. So thank you for coming. Uh, it's it's an honor and uh,
6: glad we could make the time. I'm anxious to to answer any questions and dive into the big picture relative to the investigation and all of the events leading up to what uh, what has driven us. To launch what I believe to be the most uh, the most important frontier science effort of its of its kind in the country
3: it 's incredible you know i've i've wanted to tap into the to the uFO uap phenomenon type content subject, whatever you want to call it for a long time and you and your team or anybody on your team was, was the was my number one choice because I look at all these people out that are that are putting content out or putting information out disclosure and stuff and and you're the only organization that really just backs it with with real science real experiments and it's documented and you know this is a this is a subject that but I mean, it's a controversial subject right. and and it's hard to be hard to wrap your head around this stuff and so the the way that you guys are bringing this stuff to the to the forefront and the way you're doing it with real science and scientists and experiments is it's fascinating it oh, is fascinating stuff
6: they're scary topics I mean, a lot of these these topics are unsettling a lot of people are understandably uncomfortable hmm. being faced with the reality yeah that, that these things are happening In our airspace happening in our own backyards and to have scientific rigor and discipline and a multidisciplinary team focused on gathering the data and documenting the reality of the phenomena. uh, In many cases, for the first time. Is it's an honor, but it's a sobering.
3: uh, Privilege and I think we're just getting warmed up. I think so too. Let me give you a quick introduction here. So, chairman of Colliers International, commercial real estate Mongol, investor, entrepreneur, visionary, husband, father, boy scout, and the owner of the infamous Skimwalker Ranch. Now, Skimwalker Ranch is the most Googled location (laughs) in the entire world, (laughs) or at least the country. It's the number one most googled landmark in the United States. <laughs> That's according to Travel and Leisure and Google. That is crazy. More <laughs> UAP UFO sighting phenomenons happening there than, as far as as far as I know, than anywhere else on the planet.
6: Yeah, for whatever reason, we're seeing the highest level of, or the highest frequency of UFO sightings and paranormal activity centered in this area for whatever reason uh it uh it has been a hotbed and this has been going on for decades if not millennia and we're fortunate to be picking up the baton and carrying forward in a in a sophisticated and i think a more aggressive fashion but these uh these things have been going on for some time and we're we're finally bringing it to the public's attention and i think the most dynamic way uh, and transparent way
3: you're doing a hell of a job and you're also it turned into a TV series two different TV series skinwalker ranch is number one on pretty much every distribution channel that it's a, that it's on and um but I want to talk to you after dinner last night there's a lot of layers to peel back with you so I'd like to I'd actually like to get a full life story if you're you bet. Okay Let's with dive that. dive in. Starting a childhood. Ask me anything. All right. I'll take you up on that. But everybody starts off with a gift on the show. Oh, so heavens. I got you a couple. I got you a couple gifts. Oh, wow. What do we have here? <laughs> hey, gummy bears. So those are Vigilance Leaf <laughs> gummy bears. Great. Love Legal it. in all fifty states. We love treats.
6: Um, <laughs> oh, zingers! And then one uh, of my all-American favorite snacks. Especially as we're coming back from from other countries, I'm always really relieved to find that we have our our freedom of uh, choice when it comes to um, junk food.
3: Your wife hmm. dimed you out, yeah. dimed you out. Oh, Said this it. is great. Said you have a, an addiction to zingers. I love it, and of course, thank <laughs> you for arming
6: me with my da- diet Mountain Dew. Uh, it's, yeah, I drink about one to one hundred to two hundred ounces of this
4: stuff a day. Uh, <laughs> and if you look at the ingredients, do you know what? first two ingredients and do or I don't Uh, let me have you
6: read ingredients if you can
3: first two ingredients carbonated water and concentrated orange juice water and orange juice it's part of a healthy lifestyle
6: Sean it's and, uh, uh, your fruit group yeah there you go it's 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 fuel it's <laughs> it's uh, it's my form of chat fuel for the day but no thank you so much You're welcome. Uh, well, we will greatly appreciate the gummy bears and the zingers and, uh, you know, there will be some some typical lonely nights late at the office where I'll probably be breaking these out.
3: Perfect. And then after dinner last night, I know you're a sentimental guy and you have a lot of artifacts and stuff. And so after talking to you and your wife, Kristen, Kristen uh, whose grandpa was a, was a UDT Navy SEAL in World War II, and your grandpa, both your grandpas were in World War II, I wanted to give you this. So this is... Oh underwater demolition patch. Oh, thank from you back so in the much. We're wow. beginning in the of frogman and this is a naval special warfare. Wow. Oh. So, thank you
6: so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, service is is an important thing in our family and I grew up understanding the importance of serving our country, and my grandfather's were incredible examples. And my wife's grandfather was 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 really a trailblazer with with the predecessor to the Navy SEALs. It was the beginning. Yeah, very cool. And uh, th- this means a lot. This will have a cherished place in our collection, uh, as y- as you mentioned. I love artifacts from history. You know those those tangible pieces that. That not only tell our story, but I think illustrate where we've come from, and and hopefully provide a, a bit of a reminder or a roadmap as to where we're going.
3: Yeah, you know that's Im- it's important stuff. They're not teaching it anymore, and they seem to be erasing history yeah. at a record pace. And so, it's stuff like this, you know, and and stuff that's in the studio and stuff that you have. I mean, it's important to pass down to the to the next generations that are coming up, so they know. Where the hell we came from. Yeah, we can never forget. But um, but let's get to you. So where did you grow up? Pleasant Grove, Utah.
6: I'm fifth <laughs> generation. Was
2: it pleasant? pleasant
6: Grove, Utah. My ancestors came from Scandinavia, from Denmark, and emigrated in the That's 1860s. Cool. They were early converts to the, the Mormon Church, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and settled in this small community at the base of Mount Timpanogos, which is this incredible mountain backdrop in Utah. And it lived in a, a small dugout dwelling until they built both the, their their early home and a blacksmith shop that still stands to this day. So I'm very fortunate to have some incredible ancestors that uh, that have created a legacy in our community and and serve as examples.
3: How was your family life growing up? Uh, great. I uh, I grew
6: up as a child of the 80's. I just turned 50. So uh, as, a, as a child of the 80's you know, my parents raised us on a steady diet of Steven Spielberg, George Lucas Ridley Scott, James Cameron. You know, I, I, I was a huge fan of everything from Knight Rider to Battlestar Galactica <laughs> to Star Wars to the A-Team, uh, <laughs> you name it. Uh, the pop call? culture of the period was, uh, was in Super. hyperdrive and was, was right. alive and well in the Fugle household. But I have <laughs> uh, three brothers, all boys. My poor mother was outnumbered and she, she actually <laughs> flew in with us, accompanied us, uh, on this uh, this oh, trip, really? yeah. So she's in she's in Nashville uh, with my brothers, um, doing some sightseeing. But uh, very fortunate to have the greatest parents in the world. I I hit the lottery, won the lottery when it came to my parents and grandparents You're and good. the incredible uh, individuals that they are in the family. My greatest mentor in life uh, was my father who unfortunately passed away just under two years ago, uh, much younger than he should have uh, passed. But he, he was an incredible example to me, and I was raised in this small community that, uh, that I continue to live in with my, with my wife. We, we intend to, to die there. So you still you still live in the same place where yes, I've throughout. lived almost my entire life in this uh, small community of Pleasant Grove, Utah that I love. Been going to the same gas station convenience store since I was a little boy. Uh, we you know, we participate in the same community gatherings and rituals uh, wow. every year and uh, and I've been very fortunate. Uh, not a lot of people like that left with the uh, with roots like that, where they grew up. Yeah, it's small town, USA at its best.
7: Um, Look, man, I'm tired of donating plasma for money. That's why I went <laughs> online and I found this new way to get twenty-two hundred dollars from the government.
3: What kind of stuff were you? What kind of hobbies did you have when you were growing up? You know, growing up,
7: donating uh, plasma
0: me and my were for really money. Close.
6: I had a very close friend. friends, and we. We stay close to this day. In fact, every year I pull together 10 to 12 of my best friends from my youth that I've been friends with since elementary school. We were involved in scouting. In fact, most of us were Eagle Scouts and had that wonderful experience. We were involved in martial arts, uh, karate. I grew up not only on a steady diet of sci-fi and adventure but also martial arts. Chuck Norris uh, was a, was a hero uh, of mine, and uh, me and my friends would spend weekends, sleepovers, you know, digesting every ninja and martial arts-oriented movie that you can imagine, um, and and we were involved with with role playing with fantasy. We played Dungeons and Dragons and other role playing games in our in our youth that uh, that I think. I had a had an impact not only on the way we we looked at the world, but but it forged relationships that uh, that stay intact to this day. I found it the older I get, the most important things that we have in this world are not possessions; they're relationships and experiences. And I've been blessed with an abundance. Relative to the relationships and experiences, I've had the same best friend since fifth grade. Wow! We talk every week. (laughs) We're business partners. In fact, he's been on the show. He's been on the docuseries as a consulting uh, oncologist, radiologist, as as an expert. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, Dr. Christopher Lee. So we've been best friends since fifth grade. We got our Eagle Scouts together. We went on our, our Mormon missions about the same time. He went to Germany speaks fluent German to this day. I went to Hawaii, of all places, learned how to speak some inappropriate Tongan. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I've been really fortunate But we were raised, I think, in a in an ideal environment as 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 part of the Reagan era. You know, George Bush, senior, it was uh, was the end of the Cold War. Uh, You know, we we grew up as kids. Uh, terrified of, of the potential of of war. Uh, and you know he grew up on Rocky Four and Red Dawn and 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 understanding the importance of freedom and our and and our way of life. And we saw the the, the fall of the Berlin Wall occur. I think that occurred during my senior year, uh, where we saw uh, a lot back. of remarkable things occur uh, that, uh, that has blessed our world and ushered in a new era.
3: You seem to have come from a long line of a patriotic family, and in my research, I read we that one of the things that your old man used to say to you Damn near every day is, what did you do today, what did you do today to make your country better? Yep. have you done any good in the world today?
7: On an almost daily basis,
6: my father would reach out to me and ask, have you done any good, done any good in the world today? What age did that start? Now, from the time I was a teenager,
4: and,
6: and it became even more
4: frequent
6: as I grew older and built my own
4: and
6: went through my own challenges and, uh, and triumphs. Uh, my father's words and am- admonitions stay with me every day. And, and he had an incredible father. My grandfather was a decorated bomber pilot. World War II flew a Corsair and was fortunate to be selected to fly over Tokyo Bay
0: when the Japanese surrendered.
6: And, and it was a pivotal moment in the Pacific Theater.
0: So during the war and, and
6: hearing his stories and seeing his example helped, I think, crystallize those things that are most important, those core principles that, uh, that differentiate
3: Way of life.
0: You know, of people, you vein, how did
3: that kind of form you into who you are today? I mean you you so
2: purple vein, I
3: did a lot of research some people giving you flax saying that things have been handed to you, thinking yeah. that you came from a family,
2: from a vein, family, which is a bunch of bullshit.
3: From what yeah,
6: I, understand, my dad, yeah, my, my father drove a brown beat up Pinto when I was
2: senior
6: high. Graduated in to a beat up Astro when I was in high school. I haven't taken one penny from my uh, from my parents. I was very fortunate. I, I was able to receive that, which was most important, which was an incredible upbringing uh, and in examples. But my father's success didn't didn't really occur until I was an adult and had already established myself in commercial real estate. Uh, it's, it, it's important to note that it, you know, my, my father and I were both EY entrepreneurs of the year for the western region for completely different businesses. Are you serious? Uh, That's amazing. Uh, and I think that, that still kind of sets us apart. Uh, in 1920 my great grandfather started a construction company that became really one of the largest utility construction firms in the country, but it wasn't without great sacrifice. I mean, during the 80s, they could barely keep the doors open. Uh, They they were struggling considerably, and my father and his brother, Guy, uh, ended up making some critical bets and risks on fiber optic technology, on on devising methods to be able to install long haul fiber optics underground, and uh, and really took the utility construction business into the future. So while while it is true that our family has been very blessed, uh, I I didn't grow up with any privilege. Grew up in the same eighteen hundred square foot house, and uh, and it was fortunate to be blessed with a work ethic. Uh, my my dad expected that that we would work construction as teenagers and so every year I was shipped out of town to work on construction crews uh, with a shovel in hand. And it was literally a ditch digger uh, for years but it taught me not only the value of hard work and how to work long 12 to, to 16 hour days but also to appreciate people from other backgrounds from other walks of life you experience all sorts in the construction industry and to be able to to develop respect for your peers uh, even if even if they've chosen different paths and and have different approaches to life was was important and being part of a team being part of a crew that is focused on on you know a, a very complex uh, set of requirements was was something that uh, that I enjoyed being part of as a as a teenager working heavy construction and so it, it was uh, to everyone's surprise at eighteen that I chose to not pursue a career in the family business in construction but to to forge a path in commercial real estate.
3: Yeah. What, what, uh, what prompted that? What, what got you interested in commercial real estate as an 18 year old kid?
6: Well, in junior high, at age 13, I became obsessed with, uh, business, with who the captains of industry were. I read a book, uh, by Lee Iacocca. Uh, Iacocca, the, the great autobiography of the automotive icon who was really the father of the American Mustang, the Ford Mustang, and uh, led Ford into great expansion, and uh, we can thank him for that. We can also curse him for the Chrysler minivan, and uh, uh, because he ended up uh, bringing Ford, uh, you know, the, the minivan and, and turning around Chrysler, and, and one of the great uh, automotive business epics of our of our age, but uh, hearing his story and then moving into high school and having an interest in business, not just who the power players were, but how did they get in the positions of influence that uh, that they inhabited. I mean by the time I was a junior and senior in high school, I had my own subscriptions to The Wall Street Journal and Business Week. And as I was nearing the tail end of my senior year in high school as student body president, I was very focused on jumping into a, a career and selecting a career path that would afford me the opportunity to work with the captains of industry. The very people that I was reading about in these journals and the, the newspapers and the magazines uh, that, were, that were leading business and changing the landscape of our world and through a comprehensive research effort during my senior year in high school as I was turning 18 years old, I identified commercial real estate as being the ideal career path that would potentially afford me that opportunity to work with the captains of industry because if you think about it, if you're in business, you have to have a real estate strategy. Everyone in business you know it regardless of, of what business for the most part has to at some point have a real estate strategy and uh unlike the law you know or or banking or other disciplines uh, I was able to quickly get licensed yeah uh, at, at age 18 you know, I I was able to complete all of the the schooling uh, quickly and and take the test, the four hour test and, and obtain my license uh, to focus on commercial real estate. And it was a surprise to everyone. My own parents thought that it was a, an unusual, perhaps foolish path uh, because my, my father wasn't in the real estate business, but I saw it as an opportunity to be involved with the changing landscape of the communities. Uh, surrounding us, and, and the rest is history. So I started off in business at a very young age, at eighteen. Uh, sold my first office park when I was nineteen years old. Wow! And um, and I built a proprietary database as a teenager, tracking all of the inventory and the power players in the market. Uh, I I would spend hours every day cataloging every building from one end of the market to the other and the companies that occupied spaces in those buildings and who the CEOs, CFOs were, how much square footage they occupied, when their leases were up, did they have an interest in buying in the future? You know, what were their plans for growth? What made them tick? And I uh, I built that database as, as really a crystal ball that would give me visibility into who would be making moves in the future? Who are the most likely companies and entrepreneurs that would be changing the the landscape of the business community, both figuratively and and quite literally?
3: You you were doing that at 19 years uh, old, 18,
6: 18 and 19, and it uh, it supercharged me. Now I took a break at at, at 19 after spending about. 15 months in commercial real estate, I, I elected to go on a, a mission for my church, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and served for two years in Hawaii. But uh, I kept my license active when I entered the mission field, and, uh, and a lot of the transactions that I had teed up that were in process or progress uh, before my mission, thankfully came to fruition when I was but a greenie uh, a a young missionary at age 19 and uh it was funny i i quickly obtained a brick phone when i entered the mission field which which was very unusual this was 1992 so i'm dating myself here and uh and kept in touch periodically with my office back in salt lake uh to make sure that my my deals were progressing and it was funny i bought my first armani suit as a Mormon missionary on a bike. Uh, <laughs> I bought it from the the Italian menswear store at uh, Kahala Mall which was kind of the posh mall uh, right outside of uh, Honolulu at the time and uh, and it was uh, it was a it was a fun reward I guess um, to treat me myself to that after selling some buildings and and having those deals come to fruition, so even though I was focused on my my mission and my my missionary service, I was fortunate to see transactions close for a period of time that I had uh, placed under contract before before leaving for Hawaii, which was an unlikely. Uh, mission call for me. I mean, most of my friends were going to, to foreign lands, I mean, whether it be Chile or or Germany uh, or other places, and to, to get a call to Hawaii was uh, was quite a surprise for me. So it, it sounds like there was uh, somewhat of a life-changing experience. Changed my entire life. Every day of my life uh, has been influenced by that two-year mission experience that I had. The relationships forged, the lessons learned uh, during that period of time. I mean, that's such a formative time in anyone's life, in any young per- person's life. You think of what happens between ages 18 or 19 and 21, and that's a period of time where, where you're making decisions as to who you are and how you view the world and, and what kind of person you're going to be and to be in a position where, where I was focused on Jesus Christ and teaching people the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and even just performing service, just helping people. I mean, at the time, uh, the islands were hit by Hurricane Iniki. There was a huge hurricane that came in and destroyed uh, a lot of the communities and that was a heck of a way to start my mission. <laughs> Uh, you know we had you know power power lines down uh, entire living spaces that were that were flooded as a result a lot of destruction and for a period of weeks we didn't really teach anyone about Jesus Christ all we cared about was helping people clean up the disaster and the mess and that service experience uh, was was really important it was uh it was i think christianity at at its best to see neighbors coming together to see communities working together in the face of destruction in the face of this natural disaster that had taken place and to to be able to to work to help people dig out of that you know with no no thought of compensation i mean we we're, we're, we're just there to help you know we're we're there as missionaries without any money <laughs> yeah and not looking for any compensation and and just wanting to roll our sleeves up and and help and that was that was an important experience for me the the whole experience with hurricane Iniki at the beginning of my mission uh, really set the right tone for the rest of my experience. And I, I had a uh, companion at the time. He was my senior companion and my trainer. His name was Brian Arnold. Many people know him as Dragon. He's my head of security. He was down there with you. So the relationship built with Brian Arnold, otherwise known as Dragon, uh, at Skinwalker Ranch as my head of security has, has been a a relationship I've had since my mission. He was my my senior companion. That's incredible. And we've been dear friends ever since. It didn't start off that way. We hated each other. was <laughs> that? The first several weeks uh, of my mission, uh, we were just at each other's throats. I mean, you, when you're young men and you're thrown into a small little apartment together, you come from different backgrounds and are in in different places emotionally. Uh, it it can be uh, it can be a, a different experience, and uh, at first we really didn't see eye to eye, and didn't get along. Uh, but after a couple of weeks and uh, a fist fight where we broke some furniture, we uh, we found common ground and <laughs> became dear friends. And had some very special experiences uh, serving, you know, teaching people and uh, and really learning a lot about ourselves. And so that, uh, that friendship has been enduring and has been an important part of my life. And so when I bought the ranch, when I acquired Skinwalker Ranch secretly, I needed someone that I could trust that would help run security as we were. Uh, bringing in dignitaries and scientists and guests to to engage with the investigation and you know he you know Dragon had the the background uh, as, a, as an expert marksman, uh, licensed security specialist with the state of Utah and someone who really loves the outdoors. Uh, the environment seemed to be a perfect fit yeah. for him. Plus, he has that. That look on his face all the time. I mean, people refer to that look as, as, uh, as, you know, kind of a, a, uh, a bitch face look. Uh, but he's always had that uh, that I demeanor. He's face. always had that sour look on his face, uh, which I felt uh, was was perfect for someone who would be running security. Yeah,
3: yeah, I could see it. So. When you got back from Hawaii, so were you an agent broker? Did you own the buildings no, at that age, or, or
6: so, yeah, I was merely acting as a broker, bringing together landlords and tenants, buyers and sellers, and uh, facilitating transactions.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I,
3: mean, I, I think this stuff's fascinating because in today's world, you just hear victimization. You know, it's it's. I can't make it cuz of this and I can't do it cuz of this and these people are getting in my way and this this yeah. groups keeping me down and 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 so to have somebody like you in here who 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 came from nothing and built everything you have yeah. there was no cardboard. college fund there was no
6: college fund it was either we had to go work construction or or have a scholarship, you know, have grades that would, would allow us to have a scholarship. I was fortunate to have a leadership scholar, scholarship uh, to what is now Utah Valley University, which is the largest institution in the state, but, it, you know, nothing was was just handed to me. I mean, those things had to be earned, and there was sacrifice required. I made $500 my entire first year of working full-time while going to to school full time i starved to death trying to jump into the commercial real estate business the sales cycle involved was long and arduous but also the the learning curve and being able to 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 build a platform you know to build a career it takes years and it's years of sacrifice years of starvation and I think all too often people underestimate what kind of sacrifice is required in order to truly succeed. Uh, In order to get extraordinary results you have to be willing to put forth the extraordinary effort required.
3: Everybody, I want to talk to you about two products from oh, First yeah. Form. One is OptaGreens fifty, the other is Opta Reds fifty. We all know how life can get very busy, hectic, it turns into a lot of stress. Next can- thing it's you know, a whole it's month can- is can- gone hectic. by and you don't I'm even realize it because you've just been going so fast. Bored.
0: And when Birds. you get in these situations. Uh, with... Okay, um, I think we're going to skip ahead. I want to hear him talk about this fucking Skinwalker Ranch. About uh, the
3: direction that we're heading in right now. Yeah, it pisses me off. Me too. I'm I'm pretty pretty. Ang- okay,
0: I skipped forward a little bit too much, I guess.
6: Piece of property and and a fun project uh, to work on. A four hundred acre canyon ranch that has remained unseen by by the. Oh, wow. And seventeen thousand professionals. Colliers is truly a global company, and to to merge my my previous firm, Coldwell Banker Commercial, with Colliers, propelled us to another level, and has has been an exciting evolutionary step in my career. And in tandem with that, and you know, to have some of these other more unconventional projects that I've been focusing on uh, has made life
3: very interesting. I'll bet. Let's talk about, let's go back to Hawaii, the Dole Plantation. What's, what is going on with the Dole Plantation? Well, is Dole is Dole,
6: Dole Fruit. Yeah, so Dole Foods who uh, started farming uh, the property in, in Hawaii back in the, the mid-1800s has moved a lot of their farming operations to third world countries and as a result has been willing to sell their key pieces of, uh, of property uh, in Hawaii. And I fortunately, not only being familiar with that areas, having lived there for several years and served there as a missionary, uh, saw an opportunity to acquire the property, bring in partners to uh, complete a master plan and to preserve the cultural and the agricultural focus and history of that area. In the midst of this property, there is a 350 to 400-acre canyon ranch that has remained unseen by, by the general public. It's, it has been uh, a secure part of the overall assemblage and is right out of Jurassic Park. From, uh, Avatar. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful, paradise that, uh, that we look forward to introducing the public to in the future w- what do you uh well right now we're focusing on the agricultural mission and returning private ownership to the local community and as such we've we've been selling five acre lots for these uh, these farmers to, to be able to create a, a sustainable experience, and that's amazing. To to plan re- the land is, it has been a lot of fun, and all of this property, for the most part, is ocean view, and it looks out over the entire North Shore, and uh, it's just, just an incredible piece of property, and, and a fun project to work on
2: in tandem with Skinwalker
6: Ranch, and
2: you know, also leading
6: the, uh, the largest office development in the West. I've had a I've had a lot going on. I've had my hands full. <laughs> it it's sounds awesome. like it. Thank you, yeah. like I'm, I'm living about ten lifetimes at once. Yeah, currently, but it's a uh, it's a great privilege. It's a high class
3: first world problem. Day, but always, hey, you know, I, I think these stories are kind of like what I was talking about just a couple of minutes ago I think they're extremely important because it's showing that you don't have to be born into this it's hard work no. it's, it's 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 getting your hands dirty it's it's well the American dream is alive and well
6: hmm. yeah just look at me I, I I'm the son of a ditch digger that's what I'm getting and, at. Uh, <laughs> and, and my dad would would be...
2: Chuckling right different. now, I'd
6: be nodding, saying, "Yeah, you're absolutely right." I mean, we're we are uh, we're immigrants that uh, that followed a dream, you know, that that came to this country, you know, to to start a life, and only in America do you see the kind of opportunities that that allow people to fulfill their dreams, and I hope that we can keep that that a lot. I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about our country right now and the forces that seek to undermine freedom, that seek to undermine free capitalist principles that allow people to take risk and be rewarded for taking risks. And I, I hope that we, we see the same opportunities for the generations to come that we've, we've been
3: fortunate to have. I hope so too. There's um I'm worried about it too. Yeah. I know there's a lot of us worried about the direction that we're heading in right now. Yeah, it pisses me
6: off. Me too. I'm I'm pretty pretty angry about the the state of affairs in this country and I hope that we can find more unity. That that's the funny thing is I feel like when all is said and done we really have more in common. <laughs> As we pull people together and we unify, you know, our communities. But there's so much out there trying to divide us. And i uh, I hope that I hope that truth will prevail, and that good people will work together to to help uh, our country thrive in the future. Uh, it's it's important. I I'm very thankful for the opportunities I've been given. I wouldn't be where I'm at without good parents, grandparents, without great examples. Even my my teachers, my my high school teachers, who had such an impact on me. Our educators don't get anywhere near the praise that they should. In fact, we just went to we took our uh, our favorite high school teacher to Mission Impossible this last weekend, uh, just to stay in close touch, and the impact that Mr. Blaisdell, who is is our favorite teacher, he he taught English and German uh, at Pleasant Grove High School, the impact he has had on our lives and inspiring us to do better, to be better, Uh, not only with learning English, but also being better human beings and following his example, uh, that impact and that influence cannot be underestimated, and I think it's important we we I think it's important that we honor those who are teaching our children, that are teaching correct principles and being examples uh, for our community, and so it's 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 fun. What you'll find with me is I, I surround myself primarily with people that have had an impact on me since my youth. You know, my my best friends, regardless of you know what their occupation or their path in life, or any, even our even the teachers from my past, still act and serve as mentors, and I'm thankful for that.
3: That's amazing. Let's talk about your wife, Kristen. So we had dinner last night, me and my (laughs) wife and you and Kristen. And, um, you know, I never really know what to expect. And and especially with with somebody like you coming in, you never really know, you know, how it's going to go. And both of you are so grounded and just a real pleasure to be around. And and you complement each other perfectly. When did you guys meet? We met a number of years ago. Uh, We've
6: only Uh, been married
0: for uh, for almost
6: two years, but we met each other at age 11 (laughs) and uh, lived in the same neighborhood, grew up together, but went different directions. We didn't date uh, in high school. Uh, I I should have had more courage to ask her out, but she was both too pretty, and and I think she was a little shy, and, and I was as well. Uh, but we end up bumping into, into each other later in life. You know, she's a widow; uh, her first husband died of H1N1, uh, you know, the flu, a uh, number of years ago, and and left her raising, you know, two boys and a daughter, and grappling with, you know, what what that meant, the implications of of uh, being a widow in her early forties, and and I've been in a in a state of transition. Was was married uh, for decades, but uh, uh, that didn't work out. I mean, life is is complicated. <laughs> yeah, you know, we all like to think when we're when we're young uh, that it's going to be a linear, it's going to be a straight, linear, predictable path, but it isn't. Uh, life throws a lot of curveballs, and I've been fortunate as we we've met each other. A number of years ago, I actually bumped into each other in the lobby of her uh, of her building where she was working for one of the most prominent law firms in the state that I happen to be working with. That uh, we uh, we reconnected, and and I'm fortunate to have a wife that is not only my best friend and my partner, but someone who shares the same excitement and and shares the same goals and objectives it's It's great to have that. I didn't know that that existed i I was pretty jaded. I didn't think that you could really be married to your best friend um, and that uh, that that would be possible. but she's been a key key force behind uh, everything business skinwalker ranch and and all of these other efforts and she's uh she's she's a lot of fun. We, I've never laughed so hard in my life and I, I never thought I would find balance at age 50 um, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny I I, I really am a, a teenager from the 80s stuck in a 50 year old body uh, if you if you ever want to figure out kind of what makes me tick or really my worldview just think of me as a 16 year old from the 80s stuck in 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 this time frame, in a 50-year-old body, and that sums it up. Uh, I think it's important to know.
0: Hi there, I'm having a little Caesar salad. Poor woman's Caesar salad. Mm. No shrimp. But it's vegetarian. Yes. Anyway, so.
4: I just saw that a Florida sergeant was arrested. I want to check it out.
0: Mm. Mm. for soliciting from boys 16 former Pinellas juvenile detention sergeant arrested for soliciting sex from boys 16 sergeant Caitlin Gomez was arrested Wednesday after inappropriate letters were found in a 16 year old inmate's cell Charged with felony battery. Wait, that's another sergeant charged with felony battery after he grabbed an officer by the neck. Okay. According to the sheriff's office. There was a BSO sergeant arrested on drug charges at Miami International Airport. Charges of possession of a... This is February 14th, <laughs> Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Sarge. Of a controlled substance. And importing... A, how much? I bet it was a bunch. <laughs> I would probably get away with it. It was just a cop. Nearly a dozen inappropriate letters to a teen inmate. Sunrise Police Miami Herald. This is uh, 2022 November 18. Sunrise Police Sergeant who grabbed officer's throat retires. Retires. <laughs> Why does he get his pension? Wow. What happened to the Florida police sergeant who grabbed female officer by the throat? Wait, really? We're fully failing to intervene. Hmm. Alexander Kung and To Tao were convicted and sentenced in federal court last year for willfully failing to intervene. Well, Derek Chauvin, this is 2023. Well, it was just, check that out. A former Colorado officer is the first to be convicted of failure to intervene under state law. Hmm. Convicted by a jury. Hmm... A former Colorado police officer last week became the first to be convicted by a jury of failing to intervene after jurors found she did not step in when another officer choked a man and beat him with a gun during an arrest in 2021. Francine Martinez will be sentenced in June after she was found guilty under a police accountability law passed in the wake of the 2020 murder of George Floyd. Mm. Which made it illegal for officers not to step in when they witness unlawful physical force. Well, isn't that unreasonable search and seizure? Uh, Well, it's not physical force, though. Intervene, send that to my friend. ebay stamps that so shit is constantly not bought, try to few of the money ones, it's like there's three different prices, the guy who was born at night, and then the uh I had a buyer at 70 70 face value Failure to
4: intervene. According to Westlaw, officers have an affirmative duty to protect individuals from
8: constitutional violations by fellow officers. To hold an officer liable for failure to intervene,
2: it must be shown that the officer knew a person's rights were being violated had an opportunity to
4: intervene, and chose not to do so.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. All of them. to intervene. Yeah, how unfair was that? How fifty cops? raid my property throw me in jail in nine minutes flat and they saw they saw water around here it's impossible that they were emaciated and they didn't wham let's, uh, <laughs> I was really hungry. I had a bunch of these goalie apple cider vinegar gummies. And when I do that, when I eat too many on an empty stomach, I get kind of jittery. Yeah, it says raise your hand if you're tired of the future being destroyed by Republicans. Just tweeted that from the Tony Michaels podcast. Lackluster uploaded. One million dollar lawsuit update. Cop promoted. let delays go to Stelis. Trump immunity case. Yeah, I heard on TikTok. To so it won't be heard before the election. See what's on my touch. Diaper mm-hmm. Down Jack Smith each for dates in the Marlardo Docs case, and Trump is playing more games. Biden and Diaper Down's dueling trips to the border. Fallout from the Supreme Court decision and more. 12 months ago. I think that might be live right now. Is it live? Broken, begging, total cognitive collapse. 6 p.m. Biden challenges diaper down to work together on bipartisan. Oh, okay. break? The border bill is terrible. It's like fucking something only the Nazis would love. Kimmel mercil- mercilessly pranks Trumpers and exposes the entire movement one hour ago.
8: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Trump had a flame with Stormy down.
2: And paid her $130,000.
8: Mm-hmm. Touch money, yes.
2: And you're voting for him. I am.
8: <laughs> to too, and
2: I still
5: to Welcome to What Was That? I'm Gabe Sanchez. During a street interview segment on Jimmy Kimmel's show, he and his team exposed the blatant hypocrisy among supporters of Donald Trump, resulting in a truly wild sequence of events. I hope you're ready for this. The premise of the segment was very simple. It was called Debate and Switch. Jimmy Kimmel's team asked people who identified themselves as Trump supporters for their take on some of Joe Biden's more controversial actions and quotes. However, what they didn't tell them at first is that... those those quotes weren't from Joe Biden, they were actually from Donald Trump. Here are the three people that they spoke with. Trump.
7: Trump. I'm gonna guess
5: you voted for Trump. It says Donald Trump. Trump. The first question was, what did you think when Joe Biden suggested that COVID could be cured by shining a bright light inside the body?
9: It is very sad that Joe Biden Hmm. is clearly
1: a dementia patient.
8: Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs and it
2: the does a tremendous
8: number in the lungs. So it would be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with, but it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. Mm. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute. And
5: then when it was revealed that it was actually Trump who suggested light and bleach, this is how she flip-flopped. It
1: depends what that technology is. Like <laughs> that's a broad... Spectrum
5: because, you know, you have MRI machines and CT machines and uh, infrared. This woman sounds like Michael Lindell when he talks about suing every machine in existence. It's a class action lawsuit against all machines
10: and
9: that they're defective devices. Okay. I have lawyers worked on this for five months. We're getting county commissioners, county clerks. They're all
5: the plaintiffs and we've already got about 300 on board. And we're going to get rid of these machines once and for all. And don't worry, her responses get even crazier. She was then asked, what do you think about Joe Biden saying that getting through the 80s without getting HIV was his own personal Vietnam? (laughs) It's very sad, his mental
2: capacity, Mm -hmm. and that that
0: is a very um, uneducated statement
5: except as you already know it wasn't Biden it was actually Trump here's an interview with Donald Trump and Howard Stern back in 1997 can't
8: even believe it I've been so lucky right in terms of that whole world you've never gotten a, a social disease it, it is a dangerous world out there it it's is scared it's like Vietnam sort it, of like you know the it, Vietnam is. it is your
10: personal Vietnam is it, it is my
8: personal. It you
5: said that many times like
8: a great and very brave soldier
3: <laughs>
5: this also wasn't the first time that Trump said this either and when she was informed that the five-time draft dodging idiot was actually the one who said this and not Biden, she flipped off faster than a cat chasing a laser pointer.
7: Dementia patient? No, no, no,
5: I don't believe that. And speaking of Vietnam, Kimmel's team asked another Trump supporter, how do you feel about Joe Biden using bone spurs to dodge the Vietnam draft?
9: Joe Biden has a problem. He isn't an American. He isn't a patriot.
8: Because of uh, college, like a lot of people did, uh, numerous deferments because of... uh, because of college and
5: nope it was not because of college it was actually because he got a doctor to say that he couldn't go because of bone spurs I
8: had a foot thing and I get deferment for that
9: despite the fact Trump had been active in various sports including basketball and baseball according to selective service records obtained by CNN Trump had been out of school for 18 months before the lottery even began trump
5: dodges the draft but then also has the gall to call our military losers and suckers even calling john mccain a loser
8: i supported him he lost he let us down but you know he lost so i never liked him as much after that because i don't like losers but frank frank so let me hero. get to it he hit war me hero. he's not a war he's hero, a war hero. Five he's a war and hero. And a half years he's a war hero because he was captured I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Jules. you remember that?
5: He's a war hero
8: because he was captured.
5: And here's John McCain coming after Donald Trump for dodging the Vietnam draft.
8: We drafted the lowest income level of America and the highest income level found a doctor that would say that they had a bone spur. That is wrong. That is
7: wrong.
5: Pete Buttigieg, who served in Afghanistan, also called out Trump for dodging the Vietnam draft by faking a disability.
7: Do you have a question? Do you think he should should have served in Vietnam? Well, uh, I have a pretty dim view of his decision to use his privileged status to fake a disability in order to avoid serving in Vietnam. You believe he faked a disability? Do you believe he has a disability? Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) At least not that one. He, he, he... um, (laughs) No, I don't mean to, no, one, Pete, this is actually Mayor really T- important because I don't, I don't mean to, to trivialize disability but I think that's exactly what he did. Uh, when, um, I mean, when you think about the way somebody can exploit the system, uh, and needless to say the way he has treated and mocked disabled people is just one more example uh, of the, the many affronts to, to, to just basic decency. Uh, that this president has, uh, has inflicted on this country. Uh, uh, but manipulating uh, the ability to get a diagnosis, I mean, if you were a conscientious objector, I'd admire that. But this is somebody who I think it's fairly obvious to most of us took advantage of the fact that he was the child of a multimillionaire in order to pretend to be disabled so that somebody could go to war in his place.
5: And here's Senator Tammy Duckworth, who lost both her legs in the Iraq War, calling Trump a draft dodger.
7: And I will not be lectured about what our military
0: needs by a five-deferment draft dodger. And I have a message for Cadet Bonespurs. If you cared about our military, you'd stop baiting Kim Jong-un into a war that could put 85,000 American troops and millions of innocent civilians in danger.
5: These Trump supporters could really benefit from reading the actual news for once. Maybe, I don't know, learn a thing or two about what Trump has actually said and done? But who am I kidding? We know they won't. And speaking of reading, I want to thank today's sponsor, Bookshop.org. What Was That with Gabe Sanchez is brought to you by Bookshop.org. You may be watching or listening to our show right now, but... Maybe Donald Trump and her brother-in-law should have seen a different... Well, in that case, let me switch... Anyway, when the Trump supporter was asked again, but this time with Trump instead of Biden, she changed her tone real quick. Oh, Trump? Oh, Trump? Well, in that case, let me switch tracks faster than a DJ to high school prom.
4: My brother-in-law had flat feet.
5: Excuse me, ma'am? Flat feet? Maybe Donald Trump and her brother-in-law should have seen a different position. Might I suggest Dr. Scholz? I can tell you from personal experience that he is very supportive.
9: I'm sure you cannot go into a military zone, a Vietnam zone, or any of the other zones with that feet.
5: This has to be the wildest answer in this whole segment.
9: You just can't
5: do the job. I agree. And it actually
9: impacts the other soldiers. puts them in danger.
5: And of course, Jimmy Kimmel's team had to ask about Stormy Daniels. There are accusations that Joe Biden cheated on his wife with a porn star after his son was born. And there's actually a paper trail showing that he paid the sex worker $130,000 to keep quiet about it. And he, he was making, I think,
8: less than a hundred thousand dollars a year at that time That's as right. a congressman i a senator
5: now how does he do that i don't Mm -hmm. Outback Steakhouse has a new three-course meal called the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. With soup or salad. I don't know, sir. How does he do that? Oh, that's right. He doesn't because that was not President Biden. That was actually Donald Trump. I mean, the orange buffoon is now saying that the $130,000 hush money payment to Stormy Daniels for their affair in 2006 is not a crime. So,
8: thank you very much. Everything that... I've heard and read even from legal scholars, said there is absolutely no case here, it's not a crime. This is not a crime. They don't understand it, there's no crime. And there was no crime here at all. Virtually every legal scholar says they don't understand it, there's no crime. Even if he was guilty of something, there's no crime.
5: Which is weird because Hmm. before, Trump said it was all fake news, but now, He's not only admitting that it happened, but he's also saying that it is not a crime. And based on Trump's logic, that would mean that Michael Cohen should not have gone to prison for covering up an illegal campaign contribution. So now that Trump is going to trial for this on March 25th, I wonder if he ever asked himself if it was worth it. Like, was the 90 seconds that he spent with Stormy Daniels worth it? Because we know how Stormy feels. The worst 90 seconds of my life that I spent with... Donald Trump. Donald Trump, the perfect spokesperson for Republican family values. And whether you like it or not, we also know how small Donald Trump's ego is. Which of these mushrooms, orange mushrooms, would
9: most represent the commander in chief of the United States military? Oh! Is this the one? It's a love
5: it. Fake news. Seriously, you could tell these people that Donald Trump was the reason that Jesus Christ was crucified, and they would say, well, Jesus probably had it coming. But let's see how that Trump supporter responds when they tell him that it was actually Trump who did those things.
2: And you're voting for him. I am. My
8: father had affairs, too, and I still
5: respect him. I'm sorry, what? That is not the flex that you think it is, dude. This has to be the craziest 180 that I've ever seen. He went from accusing Joe Biden of paying hush money to a porn star to then saying his own father had affairs, so no biggie. You know how earlier I said the flat feet comment was the craziest answer? Yeah, never mind. This one takes the cake. These people will say anything to justify Donald Trump doing something bad or illegal. I mean, seriously, it is remarkable. His supporters will believe anything Trump tells them, like how he never surrendered when he was arrested at any of his four arraignments. Never
10: surrendered to the tyranny. What is Trump doing here on this shirt? This is his mugshot. Gotcha.
3: So that was taken when he surrendered to authorities to have his picture taken.
5: Huh? It's almost like they're too dumb to understand what "never surrender" means. Church sure says "never surrender."
2: That's right, and that's
5: from when he surrendered and
3: got his mugshot taken.
5: Yes, it is. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. Well, that's all for me today. Thanks so much for watching, and feel free to follow me at I Am Gabe Sanchez. And if you'd like to contribute to this show, you can subscribe at Patreon.com/IAmGabeSanchez. Over there, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content, and exclusive merch. So, until next episode, I'm Gabe Sanchez, and this has been what was that? <laughs>
0: What
9: was that? Welcome to Welcome to Political Beatdown I'm Ben Micellis Joined by Michael Cohen Oh, we have a lot to discuss Donald Trump made a Bizarre video of himself Last night, just kind of Freaking out. I want to show this clip in just a little bit. I want to talk about the appellate division in New York rejecting Donald Trump's request for a stay of the New York attorney general civil fraud judgment. I mean, Donald Trump was begging Mm. the appellate division as Donald Trump would say begging them. Like a dog for a break here and say, Can I just post a hundred million and not the four hundred and sixty-four million dollars? He thinks he everything them? in life is a
10: reality show. He thinks he's fucking Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. I'm not gonna pay you five hundred and fifty million, I'm gonna pay you only a hundred, right? And they're like, uh
9: yeah, no. He's also trying to do the same thing in the E. Gene Carroll case where he has a judgment against him for $83.3 million for defaming his rape victim. E. Gene Carroll moments ago filed an opposition to Donald Trump's requested stay right there. We'll go over that. Donald Trump did get a break, though, by the United States Supreme Court, which agreed to hear oral argument on his bogus claim of absolute presidential immunity. And they pushed that out to the week of April 22nd. And we'll talk about what's going on in Congress as Donald Trump has directed the MAGA Republicans to cause chaos at the border to not fund Ukraine and try to shut down the government because President Biden's doing a good worksman-like job in office. So we've got a lot to discuss. Cohen, I liked your appearance on uh, on CNN, but you got to save that A-plus material for beatdown. You of know, Biden's it's stance. funny,
10: some of, some of our brigaders are like, oh, that was my line. I, was like, I used that line last night on uh, CNN with Laura Coates. But I'll tell you another line that I used. <laughs> You're going to appreciate so he owes this half a million, uh, half a billion dollars uh, in civil you know, judgments and so on. And he wants to now file the appeal, which, of course, as we've been talking about here on Political Beatdown, Midas Touch Network on Mayor Culp on all of the shows, we're talking about the process that Donald has to go through. If, in fact, he wants to file the appeal, he needs to post either a cash um, equivalent, That's the $454 million plus the 9% statutory New York State interest. Or he could post a bond, which actually is more because you have to pay uh, as well the bonding company who's going to take the risk. And trust me, with Trump, there's a risk. What makes it funny is I turn around, I said to Laura Coates, you know, he doesn't have the money. This is a guy who has bullshitted the American people, all of the MAGAs out there. He's been bullshitting them on, I'm worth more than $10 billion. You saw on Midas Touch Network, I saw you guys put out a clip with Alina Hava talking about he's worth billions of dollars, that he's cash rich and so on. It has now come to truth that he does not have the cash, that he's not cash rich. And in fact, He's clearly not worth what he claims to have been worth. So he lied on the stand. He lied to the American people. So I said, I mean, what's he going to do? How's he going to find this money? Maybe he needs to call JG Wentworth because he needs cash now. And all of a sudden, Laura Coates just starts laughing. And I'm like, I'm dead serious. Like I'd like to see the guy with the horns, you know, come out. And I don't mean the shaman either. Right. And have bunch of people sitting on a bus, and Donald Trump get on, need cash now, call J.G. Wentworth. Because I don't know, I don't know how he's going to, or where he's going to get the money. But Ben, I want to bring something up on this topic for a second, because something nobody except us have been talking about, what happens if he gets the money from an outside source? And people have been asking me all the time, hey, do you think it's possible that Russia, that Putin, would?" (laughs) the answer to that is no, because Putin is Mm -hmm. on sanctions list and most of his oligarch friends are on sanctions list as well. So that money would be confiscated by the United States government and would never make it uh, to, you know, to Trump for use. But (laughs) what about Mohammed bin Salman? What about somebody else? What? what about somebody who would then have something over a potential president of the united states especially if it's a foreign actor that's what you and i ben were talking about and that's what we as brigaders have to keep our eyes open you know as to who's going to give him if anyone the money because the danger to that is it could compromise our national security far greater than anything that the guy has ever done so far that person will basically own someone who could be the president of the united states it's very dangerous
9: well that's why there's an emoluments clause in the constitution which donald trump with impunity violated that's why there are all these conflicts of interest rules that's why you're supposed to disclose your tax returns if you're running for the highest office in the land all things that Donald Trump did not do, all of those entanglements having very serious, bad ramifications for our country. And we're also learning that some of the co-founders, the people who pitched Donald Trump the idea to do Truth Social, to do Trump media, to combine with the SPAC, surprise, surprise, Donald Trump's now trying to screw them, even though he already controls 90% of the company. Trump wants to control even more than 90%. So Trump engaged in this dilution scheme to dilute the shares of the other co-founders so Trump could try to get even more shares. Those co-founders earlier today, or maybe yesterday, but it's still under seal, they filed a lawsuit in Delaware's Chancery Court against Donald Trump alleging that scheme. So you see what he's doing there. I'm hoping the SEC takes notice. And also, I think that the S-4 documentation that Trump and Truth Social previously filed with the SEC is now invalid because that predates the New York Attorney General's civil fraud judgment, and all of these filings by Donald Trump showing he does not have the money. Therefore, he would be inclined, and you know he'll likely do this, to screw over the shareholders of Trump media, of Truth Social. They'll be the ones who lose all of the money. And I think that's a major defect in the S-4 disclosure. We'll see what happens there. Let me show you this, though, Cohen. This is Alina Habba, and she went on that right-wing media tour where she was telling everyone how rich Donald Trump is, how he absolutely has the money. First, I'm going to show this clip. And then I do want to show. Let me show this one. Let's play it. My goodness. My goodness. Um, so Judge Engoron says that he wants this $350 million within 30 days. Now, I know that you're planning on appealing this, but you've still got to put up the full amount pending that appeal. Does Donald Trump. Have that kind yeah. of money sitting around? Yes,
5: I mean, he does. Of course, he has money. You know, he's a billionaire.
10: Um, we know that. Um, and.
9: This is from Donald Trump's. By, by the way, by the way
10: we, we know that. Right, Ben? Do
9: everybody, you know that? I
10: like how she talks. I like how Hababa Baba talks for everybody. Right? How
9: the hell would she know what's in his bank account? How? Well, here's 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 what. She and the other lawyers for Donald Trump filed, though. This is the filing from Trump. Okay, so for all of the MAGA trolls that are here, or you've got MAGA friends, and you're like, what do you mean? Does he? he of course he has the money. This is from Trump's own motion. Irreparable harm inheres to appellants from any forced sale of properties. In the abs- This is what Trump's saying. In the absence of a stay on the terms here in outline, Properties would likely need to be sold to raise capital under exigent circumstances, and there would be no way to recover any property sold following a successful appeal and no means to recover the resulting financial losses from the attorney general. What that means very simply is he doesn't have the cash. Okay. There's another part to this also, by the way. Let me just give,
10: let me, let me give Habba a little sort of advice here, right? Hmm. Go to a hedge fund <laughs> and take a take a loan
9: for the 500, 500- I'm gonna show this clip and then I do wanna show your clip from CNN after that. But first, let me show this one. Let's play it. So, My goodness. My goodness. <laughs> um, so, Judge Engeron says that he wants this $350 million within 30 days. Now, I know that you're planning on appealing this but you've still got right. to put up the full amount pending that she appeal. Like she
5: got hit Does by Donald the other Trump stick. have that kind yeah. of money sitting around? Yes. I mean, he does. Of course, he has money. You know, he's a billionaire. Um, we know that. Um,
10: and.
9: This is from Donald Trump's. Oh, by the
10: way, by the way, we, we know that, right, Ben? <laughs>
5: Do
10: you know that? We I know, like how have. she talks. I like how Hababa Baba talks for everybody. Right? Hmm. How the hell would she know? What's in his
9: bank account? How? Well, here's, here's, here's <laughs> what she and the other lawyers for Donald Trump filed, though. This is the filing from Trump. Okay, so for all of the MAGA trolls that are here, or if you've got MAGA friends and you're like, what do you mean? Does he? he of course he has the money. This is from Trump's own motion. Irreparable harm inheres to appellants from any forced sale of properties. In the abs- This is what Trump's saying, in the absence of a stay on the terms here in outline, properties would likely need to be sold to raise capital under exigent circumstances, and there would be no way to recover any property sold following a successful appeal and no means to recover the resulting financial losses from the Attorney General. What that means very simply is not he true. doesn't have the cash. Okay. Have. There's another part to this, also.
10: By the way, let me just give let me let me give Habba a little sort of
0: good. Yeah, good here. sleuthing. So mm. Go to a hedge fund. Uh mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
9: Let me just give. Let me let me give Habba a little. He means very simply is he not doesn't have the cash. He okay. No means to recover the resulting mm. financial losses from the attorney general. What that means very simply is not that he true. doesn't have mm. the cash. Okay. There's another part to this also, by the way. Let me just give. There would be no way to recover any property sold following a successful.
0: Hyperdon don't have the cash. No
9: means to recover the resulting financial losses from the Attorney General. What that mm. means very simply is not that he true. doesn't have the cash. Uh-huh. There's another part to this also, by the way. Let me just give,
10: let me, let me give Habba a little sort of advice here,
4: right? Diaper Donald, don't.
0: Diaper don don't got the cash. Christopher Press, turn for prison. Diaper Don don't got the cash. Christopher Prez, Trump for pre-zone. I'm going to clean up clear my shed a little bit.
10: Go to a hedge fund and take a, take a loan for the $564 million mm. that he would need to post. Take, a, take the loan from them, but sign over all of your assets as collateral. Because you're so sure that you're going to win the appeal. What's the difference, right? He'll never do that because he knows. He knows that he's not going to win the appeal and he doesn't want to lose the assets. What he's doing is trying to figure out a way that he could keep the assets, not have to put up the cash and be able to file the appeal to drag it out because his hope, again, his only hope, is that he ends up winning the election so that he could put an end Pardon to all himself. of this stuff. I and mean, it's so crystal
9: clear. It should be apparent to everyone. Cohen, this was from your appearance last night with Laura Quotes: It is hilarious, so we'll play it here. Even though you didn't save your A material for here, you gave it to her. Oh, well, I saved my A material. Trust me,
10: there'll be some A material today, too. Let's <laughs> play the clip well of course he's embarrassed because his entire net worth the constant reiteration that i'm worth at least 10 billion maybe even more obviously goes to his id, his ego his super ego and that's now super deflated because it's just not true they had to acknowledge that they don't have it you know it wasn't that long ago that he stood on the stand and he told everybody that he was worth many, many, many billions of dollars and that he has very low debt to, um, to ratio, uh, to value ratio, and that he was very, very cash rich. Well, we know that that's just yet another lie that was told by Trump. I mean, who is he going to do? What's he going to call like uh, J.G. Wentworth and say, you know, I need cash now? How is he going to raise more than this half a
9: billion dollars that he well, owes uh, in order to be able to file an appeal? I like that Freudian psychoanalytic theory <laughs> right there, the id, the super egos. No, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. But it happens to be true. I mean, his
10: entire persona is predicated on his net worth. Basically, what has he done? He fucked up daddy's company. That's really the truth, right? I mean, you know. I guarantee you, Fred must be rolling upside down right now thinking, boy, how crazy was I to let this idiot take over the company? I mean, you know, just truly amazing. Guy ended up, you know, using daddy's money. He was also corrupt. He built a business off of his father's assets. And now those assets are going to end up going to say, listen, on behalf of the state of New York, I feel very thankful that I could have been a part of this New York attorney general case. First of all, I thanked Tish James at the very (laughs) beginning of that segment for, for, for thanking me and acknowledging my participation in bringing that case to the courtroom. So I thanked her back and I want to thank Donald for helping New York fill its coffers with another half a billion dollars. Listen, at least now, I mean, it's a half a billion dollars of money that he stole from the state of New York over a long period of time. But right now, the state, the city could certainly use it for you know, many worthy um, projects that need to be done.
9: So thanks, Donald. Well, Cohen, you talk about the id, the ego, and the superego with CNN. Let's talk about Donald Trump being super cognitively in decline right now and posting these videos of himself. So just to set the stage, these aren't videos that other people took of Donald Trump and posted. This isn't like a clip that Midas Touch searched for, and had to find in the archives somewhere. No, yesterday, Donald Trump went in front of a camera with his team and recorded this video of himself. And they have these like weird camera angles as well. And then he and his team looked at this video and they said, yep, we're going to post this. And he does this a lot, but this one particularly kind of stands out here. And and I did a video of it earlier this morning that's on our YouTube channel. It's already got about a million views and uh i broke it down to different parts there but let me just share with you this entire video right here and again uh, this is not ai this is this is donald trump recording himself this is the this is what he considers to be him at his best play this clip
8: radical left democrats are at it again they're constantly making up stories about me because their candidate is a mental and physical (laughs) basket case. There's never been anything like it. He's also the worst president in the history of our country. He went on a very poorly rated show last night, and he talked about Donald Trump and his wife. I don't know the name of my wife. He was referring to the fact that at CPAC, where I had a sold out speech, the biggest audience they've had in years, I think maybe ever, I made the statement that Melania was very popular because when I mentioned her name, the audience went wild. I then looked at the two people, man and wife, Matt and Mercedes Schlapp, and I said, wow, they really like the first lady. So this got taken as the fact that I thought Mercedes oh was it's the first lady. It has to nothing share. to do with that.
2: These man. people
8: are really dishonest. <laughs> they are absolutely something. They have a horrible candidate who's a horrible president they make up things constantly you take a look at when i use barack hussein obama and i interject him into where it's supposed to be biden and i do it purposely for comedic reasons and for sarcasm because a lot of people say that obama's running the country not biden because he's sleeping all the time they say oh i don't know the name of the president or when i imitate this guy getting off a stage. What they do is they say, oh, he had trouble getting off the stage. I have no trouble getting off the stage. Anybody that watches what I do at rallies would say, wow, that's amazing. He can go two hours without a teleprompter, not making even a little mistake.
2: Very few people,
8: maybe almost nobody can do what I do. So here's the story. The disinformation of the Democrats is unbelievable. They do it because they have a horrible candidate. Don't associate me with the mental midget that you portray because I want to tell you he should not be leading this country and hopefully on November 5th he's not going to be we're going to have a big election we're going to have a big victory <laughs> a big, and we're going to make America great again yeah, thank big you
0: election.
8: I live here
5: in surprise I send my children to these schools oh, there's just goodness. such love and passion for helping each other and children my colleagues are incredible i have very supportive administrators and it's just an incredible amount of support but i'm a first year teacher in dysart and i have just felt uplifted and I'm supported with any questions that i ever have so it's it's a great district to be a part of for
8: sure we're gonna have a big oh victory and we're gonna make
9: america great again thank you <laughs> Now, if that doesn't scare the absolute crap out of you, wow. it also make you, you go, "What, what the heck was that, Cohen?" I want to get your reaction.
10: I don't even I don't even know where to start. You have to break down, you know, line by line of lie. First of all, Joe Biden's not sleeping all the time, right? I mean, it's it's almost it's almost funny uh, that you know he brings that. Second of all. I believe that there was a poll, and that's what he's referring to right now. That and that's what's bothering, you know, von Schitzenpants here. What's bothering him is that he was voted as the worst president in the history of this country. Not Joe Biden. He was. And so projection, 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 right? It is it's it's almost comical. I mean, the notion that you know, the whole thing with Matt Schlapp and his wife, Mercedes, you know, everything. He speaks for two hours without making a mistake. Seriously, (laughs) this ass clown can't go 30 seconds without fucking something up or lying about something or just going off script and making up some sort of nonsensical story like Obama is running the country. Really? I mean, Where where do you even get that? Where is this information coming from other than his ass? It's coming from nowhere. You know, there's like an expression for somebody like Donald. I bet that his, his ass is jealous of the shit that comes out of his mouth, right? There's no other way to describe it. It is stupidity to the nth degree. Imagine, imagine what we're all thinking right now. How fucking stupid this guy actually is. But we're Americans. We're, we're Americans. Imagine what our adversaries and allies internationally are thinking about the fact that this country has this guy as the potential nominee for one of our two political parties. What the hell are they thinking about us? How fucked up is America? that this guy could be at the helm of one of our political parties. It's Scratcher.
9: Well, we've been hearing a lot from our allies abroad recently. They've been taking to the news. There were actually 22 speakers of respective parliaments across the country, sent a letter to MAGA Mike Johnson to let him know, like, what are you doing? Like, we're we're trying to support democratic institutions here. and. We need to fund Ukraine. Like, what are, what are you doing? Like, you realize the stakes here with Vladimir Putin. You've got a lot of allies basically saying now, you know, especially those in, in Europe, that, look, we can't rely on the United States of America anymore. And it's because what the Republican Party has done to our country. And they're writing America off as an ally not for both sides but because of the fact of the republican party going full putin full maga and full donald trump i want to share with you cohen some of these messages i got i'll show you one in particular in a little bit of this is from a psychiatric nurse but i've got these messages from a lot of people (laughs) who are looking at these videos of donald trump and people who have been around you know actual dementia patients you know and they say look there's a difference between someone being on the older side, like President Biden, though, but who speaks in sentences and who's coherent, um, and it, but but is on the older side, and someone who has signs that are consistent with dimension. If you look at Trump's eyes, the way he looks, the way he's even walking, there's a lot of serious things that are staring us right in the face. I want to discuss that and more, but I want to take our first quick break of the show.
10: Um, Real talk! 52% of men over 40 experience some.
0: I was. PD. Uh, Quiet. Style dysfunction. No, I don't want to hear about
8: that coming I mean, Michael. No. A mistake. We are an institute and a powerful death penalty. We will put this on. Like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. Very few people, maybe almost nobody can do what I do. You got to take a
10: look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am, but he can't remember his wife's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really it's a really I mean, good. Attitude. I mean, talk about it. the funny thing is Trump could sit there for an hour trying to denigrate President Biden and it just doesn't work. And then Biden comes out with like 10 words and it's just a knockout punch. I mean, that's like that's like a Mike Tyson shot in his prime. Right here's that what I've got I, I, I a
9: number of messages like this, but here's one that I shared on social media today. Someone said Hi, Ben, I'm a psychiatric nurse in Canada. I am watching the video you posted this morning about Trump completely losing it. I noticed in his videos that his face is not symmetrical anymore when he's talking. His right eye is not focused with the left. Now I've read articles that he has dementia, but this was obvious to me who has seen geriatric patients after stroke or advanced dementia. He's also talking mostly out of the left side of his face. I can't diagnose him, but this is what hit me the most. Keep doing what you are doing. Thank you very much for that. And also, if you notice when he walks now, he drags his right leg. I can give you a number of examples, but but take a look at this video right
5: here. Have you seen this viral fat-burning brownie drink? Millions are raving like it's a brownie in a glass. But critics are concerned that some are burning fat too fast. An Ohio doctor never expected her personal morning ritual would become...
9: Michael Cohen, you were around him for a while. Sorry for that, but uh, you were. Um, when you see him today in this physical state versus when you saw him, what's, what's your reaction?
10: It's not the same Donald Trump. In fact, I've talked about that a lot. Um, it's not the same Donald at all. Number one, it's the worst version of himself imaginable, but from a physical standpoint, I don't know, maybe the diaper is bothering him and he's afraid something will fall out. So he's (laughs) sort of like, I I don't know. You know, I'm not not, (laughs) a a clinician. I I can't, you know, make (laughs) the diet. You you (laughs) do promote him, though, so. Well,
2: yes.
10: (laughs) I hope they have a clip. Do I think think that he has some form of dementia? Well, certainly it does run in his family. (laughs)
4: <laughs> I mean, that's not news <laughs> to anybody. Um, he certainly
9: would you hear about that. What would you hear when you were around him? Obviously, it was well known that when Fred was around the same age as Trump is now, he had a very bad case, very bad dementia. Uh,
0: oh, wow, you're still there. Hello, darlings.
9: Very bad dementia. Um, it has been alleged as well that as a result of that dementia, you know, it, it allowed Trump to take certain adverse actions. It was alleged, you know, again, that that stuff, stuff that, that was happening. What would you hear about Fred when you were in those inner circles? So, so he didn't really like to
10: talk about it because obviously, you know, not only he, but his family, that they are all, uh, you know, they lived for a long time. Uh, the, 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 the knowledge that everybody had about Fred uh, and uh, Mary, his mom, she was the later stage, uh, dementia, how it came to pass was there's a colleague of mine that was working at the company whose parents, uh, happened to be suffering from dementia and wanted to relocate. And Donald, interestingly enough, and I, you know, look, I am not always 100% shitting on the guy. He actually claimed at that time when I was in the office, when it was going, he, he said, I fully understand. It's a terrible situation. I know it well. And he said to the guy, absolutely, you should move down uh, to Florida uh, and take, you know, take care of them. And obviously, because Trump has assets in Florida, that it wasn't like he was going to be walking away from the business uh, or as a executive at the company. Of course, two weeks later, Donald cut his salary in half uh you know claiming which i thought was pretty shitty and so did the guy that's neither he nor
9: there he hold did. on so pause right there so if somebody shows up an executive at the company go you're in this meeting i've never heard this story before tells trump um look my my parents have or a parent has dementia trump says i know what that's like because trump's parents have dementia which you thought, okay, I mean, I guess you're trying to relate to this executive. Nice, I guess. And then two weeks pass, and then Donald Trump slashes the salary of the executive who just told him that he needed to take care of the parents with dementia. Yeah, when he moved out,
10: he moved moved down to Florida, uh, and he um, then cut his salary in half, saying that it's cheaper To live in Florida than it is to live in New in New York. I mean, it was a shit thing to do, and the guy needed the job, so you know he ended up, um, you know, staying with the company uh, for you know quite some time thereafter until he ultimately moved on. But he was compassionate at the time when they were discussing parents taking care of parents, the topic of dementia, and so on. Uh, I mean cutting the salary was awful it was a horrible thing for you know for him to do but he was compassionate uh when it came to the issue of parental dementia well i
9: i will say this it seems not compassionate to seemingly pretend to be compassionate in the moment, but then basically direct someone to live in another state for purposes of slashing their salary in half. But, you know, what that speaks to me is that is kind of the two-faced duplicity of Trump. And I get that in that moment. Can I, I
10: want to jump in on that for a sec, because I do truly believe at the moment that he was discussing it with my colleague, that He really did empathize hard to imagine me using the word empathy with Trump. But when ultimately it sunk in and the guy moved and the whole bit, then the real Donald Trump came out. But at that point in time that he was sitting and telling him the story of uh, the guy of his parents and um, the dementia needing to help to take care of them and so on, uh, I do believe that he. Was able to relate to the scenario, and um, that's why he said to him, "Absolutely, you should go."
9: Okay, I mean, we—you we, we, were there. I, I, I trust you. i wasn't in the room, but um, I, I would—I think we both agree it was a uh, crappy thing to do, to say the least, and consistent with. Trump's behavior to then slash the salary in half and utilize that as a way to be cheap and not pay the executive when the executive now has increased medical expenses to take care of a parent. But speaking Mm -hmm. about increased expenses, increased costs, increased judgments, nice little transition there. Uh Um, E. E E Jean Carroll, moments before we went live, filed... Her opposition right here to Donald Trump's motion to stay the execution of the $83.3 million judgment pending disposition of the post-trial motions. Some great lines in here as well. Um, One of the things that E. Jean Carroll says is basically what Trump's arguments boil down to is nothing more than, quote, trust me. He simply asks the court to, quote, trust me, and offers in a case with an $83.3 million judgment against him, the court filing equivalent of a paper napkin signed by the least trustworthy of borrowers. You know, and one of the things that Trump is trying to claim, why he doesn't need to post uh, a